ports, as well as shipping ports up and down the coast. Meanwhile, Asia has 88 new oil refineries manufacturing fuel for California's airports and shipping terminals. It's time we recognize that the climate agenda is a national security threat. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio. Good morning, and uh, let's look at those uh, temperatures, shall we? 88.1 FM, the wireless weather. It's five past five. Very good morning to you. And uh, the temperatures right across the main centres of New Zealand. So Stewart Island, six degrees, along with Invercargill. Dunedin's on eight degrees with Timaru and Christchurch. Nine degrees in Blenheim. Well, uh, Chatham Islands, though, it's nine, 19 degrees out there, would you believe? Three degrees. That's pretty cool. That's, that's exactly what Philip Duncan said, isn't it? He said that it's going to be cooler for the next 48 hours. We're going to have snow down to about three to 400 metres across the Alps. And so very cool indeed for the trampers and the climbers. Uh, three degrees in uh, Queenstown. Uh, Franz Joseph on the west coast, seven degrees. Ten degrees in Westport, also Nelson. Uh, in the North Island, Wellington, 12 degrees. Macedon's on 11. Uh, Napier has 15 this morning, along with uh, Palmerston North and New Plymouth. Rotorua, 17, uh, no, not 17, 11 degrees today. Uh, Taupo and Rotorua on 13 and 11 degrees. Gisborne, 18. 16 in Tauranga. Hamilton, 14 degrees. Auckland, 18. Whangarei, 17 degrees and 18 degrees in Kaitao. And I can tell you, from a lot of my friends, it's welcome, actually, this uh, slightly cooler. It's been pretty warm, hasn't it, for the last week? Uh, let's look at the short forecast for the whole of the country, for Northland, Auckland, Waikato, Coromandel, the Bay of Plenty, partly cloudy today. Uh, Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, part fine weather, apart from areas of morning cloud and evening cloud as well. Uh, that's in Gisborne. Waitomo to Manawatu, including the central high country, mostly fine weather. Horomanua to Wellington, also Wairarapa, Marlborough and Nelson. Fine weather today. Uh, isolated showers in Wellington and southern Wairarapa. For Buller and Westland, Fjordland as well. Uh, you've got mainly fine weather today with uh, southern Westland and north, uh, northern uh, Fjordland mainly fine. Elsewhere, isolated showers clearing in the afternoon. For Canterbury and Otago, mostly cloudy, isolated showers developing in inland Canterbury later this afternoon. And for the South Island, showers becoming isolated this afternoon as well. And uh, you can expect some fine spells increasing. In the Chatham Islands, low cloud with drizzle. The extended forecast (coughs) excuse me the extended forecast for Thursday in the North Island Showers in the east, easing, partly cloudy elsewhere with a chance of a shower inland. South Island, fine for Nelson and Marlborough. Rain or showers developing in Fjordland, Southland and Clutha, partly cloudy elsewhere. Extended for fr- Friday, for Friday, uh, yes, for Friday, North Island, mainly fine. Isolated showers in Hawke's Bay, Gisborne and Northland. Uh, in the South Island, rain for Fjordland, Southwestland and Southern Southwestland, that is, uh, heavy at times. Scattered rain for the southern lakes and uh, Southland and Clutha. Cloud increasing elsewhere. Uh, The outlook for Saturday for the North Island. Rain developing in the west, south of Waikato. Scattered rain for Wairarapa. Cloud increasing elsewhere. In the South Island, rain in the west and south. Both heavy at times, easing. And scattered rain in the north. Isolated showers elsewhere. The extended forecast for the Chatham Islands. Uh, mostly fine at first on Thursday with southeasterlies, then cloud increasing. A few showers developing on Friday uh, with southeasterlies dying out and cloudy periods on Saturday with a possible shower and you've got northerlies as well. Would you call yourself a socialist? 
Uh, no. You've never told a lie in politics? No, no. See, somebody sent me a video actually last Friday and it had you talking at the Socialist Community oh, School. Yes, yes. And you mentioned the word comrade uh, about four times in a minute. What was that about? It was a rally and I would have been about 25 years old. Comrade, 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 comrade. Comrade, 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 comrade. It was in 2009. Oh, well, I can't remember which country it was in. Has it changed since those days? No, not particularly. No. If you are caught in a lie or caught intentionally misleading the New Zealand public, how would you expect to be held to account? Well, I actually believe that it is possible to exist in politics without lying. We drum in that messaging around the dangers of COVID pretty diligently for a full two-week period of sustained propaganda. Sustained propaganda. You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, The World at Five. If you're going to make your kids tough, which they better be if they're going to survive in the world, you can't interfere when they're doing dangerous things carefully. Think about it that specifically, dangerous things carefully. That's such a place where kids learn. That is the only place they learn. That's where everyone learns everything. When you're doing dangerous things carefully, man, that's where you learn. And so you interfere with that. You interfere with the process by which your children expand their competence. And it takes courage not to interfere with that. Mm, It does, actually. Now, a subculture a truants, a fisheries minister, slams the iwi members after threats to stop fishing competition. Ooh, that'd be Shane Jones. We'll have a look at him a little bit later on. Never bothered to include us, members of Northern Earth Tribe, or they call it iwi, threatened to stop the annual fishing competition. They block boat at the block, block them at the ramps. This is typical. You just got to stop this. You just got to come under one law, and that's the the law of the land, which is the. That's what you signed up to. And the other thing I was reading about was um, in 1840, they really wanted that treaty, and they've been wanting that treaty. The Maoris had been wanting that treaty you know, since about 1835. The, uh, that independence, that thing, that didn't really pan out for them because they were still killing and eating each other. But not only that, the whalers too. They were, um, they were a pretty raucous bunch, and uh, up there in Russell, they really wanted to have a bit of peace in the area, and they knew the British, British law would be able to bring them that. Uh, so they yeah they've been dealing had problems with whalers that was known as the hellhole of, of the Pacific and there was quite a few of them around the South Pacific with the whalers but then as whaling died off uh, so too did the problems now uh, employment immigration minister expects invest, investigation after alleged allegation of underpaid security workers and Luxon's not ruling out voting for treaty principles bill. At the second reading, ooh, foreign minister, foreign affairs, uh, the uh, now the uh, how the the uh, New Zealand Defence Force will contribute in the Middle East amid the Houthi strikes. That could be worth looking at. Maybe we should just check that one out. That's by Gina Lynch. She's reporting for in uh, NewsHub.co.nz. Uh, I'll just get rid of the video over the top and then we'll give it to you. A small team from the New Zealand Defence Force is being deployed to the Red Sea in the Middle East as tensions continue to escalate over the Houthi attacks. Uh, The six highly trained personnel, they'll be SAS I suppose, they will help protect shipping routes and will be involved in bombing targets in in parts of Yemen controlled by the Iranian-backed rebels. According to Prime Minister Christopher Hickson, uh, <laughs> Christopher Luxon, he said that the Houthi attacks are illegal, unacceptable, and profoundly destabilising. U.S. and U.K. Uh, Air Force they struck missile and surveillance sites in Yemen overnight, targeting Houthi rebels who've been attacking ships in the Red Sea, which is a major trade route. 
Houthi, Houthi Iran-backed rebels have been attacking ships in the Red Sea since November. Houthi say that their targets are Israeli ships, and they're also uh, they've been firing missiles and drones towards Israel since the beginning of the war in Gaza. But the Red Sea response to Houthi actions was threatening commercial shipping, Luxon said. He said, freedom of navigation is an integral part of New Zealand's national prosperity uh, and our, our trade security. The US has been carrying out counter-strikes and will now want to help, or want our help, the US making a direct request for assistance. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, the logical consequence that we join international partners in tackling this ongoing threat to security, the Prime Minister said. He said the government was the uh, six defence, rather, the government with six defence force personnel will be involved in a collective self-defence for ships in the Middle East from operational headquarters in the region and elsewhere. The Houthi attacks are... Oh, he says that again. Foreign Minister Peter Winston... <laughs> Peter Winston Peters. Yeah, he's certainly dyslexic this morning, aren't we? Uh, said that the piracy threats uh, threatens the existence of hundreds of millions of innocent consumers worldwide and defies the international rules-based order. Good to see him using words like worldwide and international instead of global. All the time they love this global, don't they, these globalists. Now, um, we've got uh, some more news. Auckland Council, there warns of possible intense rainfall risk of flooding this summer due to the El Nino effect. In rugby, All Blacks coach Robertson, he weighs in on Schmidt's appointment as the Wallabies rival. And food and drink, pretty exciting. Kiwi Company turns upcycled avocado, upcycled avocado into freeze-dried powder. And uh, there we are. That looks to be it. A bit thin on the ground for news. We'll go to the Otago Daily Times in just just a moment. This is a TNT Radio Encore. If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live. If you're going to make your kids tough, which they better be if they're going to survive in the world, you can't interfere with... Didn't we hear that? I'm sure we did. If you're going to make your kids oh, tough, again. which they better be if they're going to survive in the world, you oh, can't gosh. interfere when they're doing... No, we don't want to hear. We, hear, we know, we know. We th- thanks, we, we get that. Don't say things you don't mean and oh. don't go along with things you don't agree with. I we'll told my kids when they went to school, look, kids, follow the rules. But don't follow stupid rules. Who decides if they're stupid? Well, that's a hard question because most of the time you should follow the rules. But now and then the rules get pathological and, and you have to stand up. He said, if you're going to stand up and break a rule, think about it and you have to be willing to take the consequences. But there's consequences to not standing up to stupid rules too. And if you think that those consequences are lesser, then you suffer from the delusion that there's an easy path through life. You do. 29 minutes past five and we are over at the Otago Daily Times. I'll just do a quick refresh on it because I think that might be old. Yes. A plea for sightings of a missing 14-year-old girl. Police are searching for a 14-year-old girl missing from her North Shore home. Uh, That's North Shore, Auckland. And they're asking for any sightings of the teen. Oh dear. So if you go to the Otago Daily Times, you will be able to see a picture of her and then you can keep an eye out. Uh, a lot of uh, pasta, rice and potatoes. Shoppers carb-loaded to uh, fight the costs. Wellington Mum says she's relying on bread and pasta 
to keep food costs down and fill tummies at home. And all that's going to do is make you fat and stupid. Carbs is not what we need. We need protein, and protein costs money, but it's better to have a good diet of protein than fill yourself up on carbohydrates because you're only going to end up having to spend it on doctor's bills because it's going to make you very, very sick. We're not The human body's not designed to be loaded up with carbohydrates. Now, one because it's really peasant food, isn't it? And it, it will keep you alive, but it won't keep you healthy. Uh, one critical after a serious crash, and that is an Ashburton. Let's have a look at that. I think that's fairly new. One person in a critical condition following a serious crash in Ashburton. Two vehicles crashed, reported at 5.45 on Long Beach Road near Winslow, Willoughby, according to police. The crash was, re- uh, the, uh, the, the crash was reported around 5.40. PM, one person in critical condition in a helicopter en route. Police said that in a statement, serious crash unit's been advised. And there we are. That's the Otago Daily Times. Lifeguards rescue family trapped in a cave by large swells. The family, including a young child, had to be rescued after becoming trapped inside a small cave on Northland's coastline by a high tide and large swells. And there's been a third shoplifting charge, would you believe, for Golriz Garama. Oh, Garriman. Uh, police have laid a third shoplifting charge against the person believed to be the former prime uh, member of parliament for the Greens. Sexual assault charge laid against Christchurch musician, a Canterbury musician, has been charged with sexually assaulting a woman. Probably got interim name suppression. Uh, no, it's Manu Francois. He's 34. He appeared in the Christchurch District Court yesterday morning for the first time since his arrest. Police allege Francois, well, who, who lives in the West Milton area, sexually violated a woman over the age of over, yeah, over the age of sixteen between December the first and thirty first, two thousand thirteen. That was a while ago. He did not seek name suppression when he appeared before the community magistrate this morning, yesterday morning, and by audio visual link from police cells, the court heard that he had applied for legal aid and was seeking bail. There we are. That is uh, that fellow there. And uh, we've got uh, life will never be the same. The father of six loses wife to cancer. Kiwi father of six learned that his wife's stage four breast cancer uh, when she was diagnosed on Mother's Day and is now mourning her death in Australia. No good. Terrible. New Zealand King Chronic admits importing synthetic cannabis into the United States. Matthew Wilinga. He was such a big part of the legal high, uh, the legal high world, that's right. Is it still legal, that stuff? All those funny pills? I don't know. Uh, He was called King Chronic. There we are. And New Zealand Defence Force team heading to the Middle East to protect shipping, just six of them, probably the SAS, I would say. And uh, now that's it for the Otago Daily Times. Uh, Why don't we go over to Australia? They seem to be uh, a little bit further ahead than us. Uh, we'll have a look at their front page. We'll go to uh, there. Abhorrent and incorrect. ABC chair hits out at staff over role of no confidence, uh, a vote of no confidence. The ABC chair spoke on behalf of the Public Broadcasters Board in a statement released on Tuesday, blasting staff for claiming that David Anderson had shown a lack of support for independent journalism. And uh, Pesuto refuses to address calls to apologise or resign over treaty U-turn. Victorian opposition leader said that he was not going to address criticisms of a coalition U-turn on a treaty in Victoria after he was told to apologise and resign 
over the decision. And enormously grateful, Scott Morrison reflects on his career in emotional interview. Um, he's looked back on his long career in Parliament with the Sky News Australia's host, Paul Murray, revealing uh, what was going through his mind after the coalition lost in 2022. That's the federal election. In Queenstown, pro-Palestinian protesters charged with search warrants, uh, were rather charged and search warrants executed. Queensland Counter-Terrorism Police, Queensland, have arrested four people on Tuesday in connection with the two Palestinian protests uh, at a defence and aerospace manufacturing company headquarters and in the foyer of Boeing in Brisbane. And uh, a stabbing Australians in the back, a stabbing Australians in the back. Albanese uh, want, uh, warned not to break tax cut promises. The Albanese government have been warned not to stab hardworking Australians in the back as speculation increases that the government will break its promise, as they do. They do it here as well, across the ditch. They break its promises to proceed with the coalition-era stage three tax cuts. OPUS admits thousands more failed Stripe Zero calls during outage. As Optus, Optus has revealed that the thousands of Australians were unable to reach triple zero during a massive November 8th outage, despite telling a Senate inquiry last year only 228 customers were unable to get through. Okay, now let me have a look at that. Now, in full, Scott Morrison's exclusive interview with Paul Murray. That one could go on for a while. I'll just have a quick look at it. I don't know if you're interested. Let's just see how long it is. No, it's a long one, quarter of an hour. I think it's a bit long for us. 26 minutes to six. And we've got um, some opinion piece here set to be tough, a tough week ahead as uh, attack on Australia Day ramps up. That one is uh, an opinion piece. Shall we see how long? That's just three minutes. We'll have a listen to that, shall we? This is going to be a tough week, I think, around Australia as we head to Australia Day on Friday, the national holiday for January 26, that the hard left have year after year after year tried to demonise. The attack on our celebration of all things that are great about living in this fantastic country has intensified every year to the point where we find ourselves today. Unbelievably, two sports that Australians love, cricket and tennis, have been shamed into cowardly behaviour where a test match in Brisbane will have a smoking ceremony praising past, present and emerging Indigenous leaders but will ignore the nation that lends its name to the test team, the Australian cricket team. So divisive has this argument been turned into by radical anti-Australian protests. I suspect there are members of that cricket team of the first 11 who would like to show support for the majority of Australians, but are too scared to speak out. That's a disgrace. A female and male cricketer of Indigenous heritage even called for matches not to be played on January 26 as a mark of respect. Seriously? Do these people not accept that we had a national referendum last year where 60% of Australians made it very clear they, de they do not want their country divided along racial lines? We as a population said no to what amounted to a separate Indigenous voice to Parliament, not available to non-Indigenous Australians by a whopping majority, 60%. So how is it that Cricket Australia and Tennis Australia think it's a good idea to ignore the majority of Australians and pander to a vocal minority because they shout louder? It's pathetic, and one can only hope that I see, as I did at the weekend, more and more spectators at the tennis and the cricket uh, draping the Australian flag, which, of course, the shouty left also hate, around their shoulders. 
But the tennis and cricket week need administrators are probably the least of our troubles this week. Come Friday, the aggressive, dangerous, radical black movement led by Senator Lydia Thorpe and her deranged supporters will take to the streets linking their claims of colonial settlement as being an invasion, making claims of genocide and brutal violence to the current conflict that's unfolding in Gaza. And sadly, many younger Australians just hear the loopy protest shouting and don't bother to check the facts. Add to that a bunch of state Labor governments, especially in Victoria, who are a long way down the road to treaty and the inevitable reparation or guilt money, despite the voice result. Mark my words, you will see Indigenous flags right alongside the flag of Palestine, all ignoring the October 7 terror attack on Israel, the worst mass murder of Jews since the Holocaust. Just last Saturday, I witnessed a convoy of Palestinian vehicles doing laps of the blocks of the city CBD in Melbourne with a child looking to me to be about 10 or 12 years old, shouting into a microphone attached to rooftop speakers on the car about the river to the sea mantra, the destruction of Israel. Kid was 10 or 11 years old. The convoy then travelled to a docks protest that turned violent yesterday, with masked protesters hit with capsicum spray, while 200 police finally broke up the blockade. I say finally because it took police days to even go down there. And their excuse from command, Victoria Police Command, they were too busy policing the Australian Open tennis. I'm serious. This is a port blockade causing 55,000 containers to be stranded on ships, costing the economy millions of dollars a day. Too busy at the tennis? I kid you not. Yeah, that is a good report. OK, it's 22 minutes to 6. TNT Radio News coming up at 6. And uh, Cricket Australia chokes at the mention of Australia. Oh, I think we, we had all that yesterday, didn't we? Yeah, should we give it a rest? Yeah, give it a rest, Mike. Yeah, give it a rest, don't Grant. Yeah, OK, give it a rest. All right, okay, what should we do now? We'll go, I don't know, we're a bit thin on news, aren't we, at the moment? Uh, let's see what's just in for abcnet.au. And uh, Margot Robbie misses out on the Oscar nominations for Barbie. Oppenheimer leads with 13 nods. Margot Robbie misses out on the Oscar nominations for her leading role in the Barbie. In the Barbie. She's pretty though, isn't she? While Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer picks up 13 nods. And they've got the full list there if you go to abc.net.au. And the Socceroos draw 1-1 with the Hezbukistan to top the Asian Cup group. Uh, the Socceroos top their Asian Cup, 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 Cup group, the Asian Cup group uh, to secure a smooth passage to the round of 16 after a shaky 1-1 draw with... Uzbekistan and Coco Gaff is that how you say her name Gaff Goff Gaff she hasn't 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 read her coach's book Winning Ugly but 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 it's a key theme but it kept the open the open the Australian Open alive apparently uh, Brad Gilbert's famous book may have gone unread but his pupil Coco Gaff knows what he's talking about after grinding out a three-set victory to reach Australian Open semi-finals. Former New Northern Territory Courts media liaison pleads guilty to provide, providing restricted information to journalists. The disclosure of information resulted in a number of outlets, including Australian and ABC and also Northern Territory independent publishing articles containing information that had not yet been made public.
And West Tigers continue rooster overhaul. Uh, is that a rooster? No, it's roster. Yeah, rooster's got two O's, isn't it? Yeah, you dummy. Yeah, you can't read today, can you? No, no, not. No, I've had troubles this morning. Uh, they release the, um, what is it, release uh, the club's all-time leading try scorer. The ov- overall, the overhaul of <laughs> the overhaul of the West Tigers has continued with the club finalising a release uh, settlement with veteran winger David Nufualuma. I got that one all right. You didn't do bad on the island names. She's pretty good. Yeah, I know. Not too good. Not too good. Though, in the other names, though, am I? ABC board passes unanimous vote for uh, of uh, confidence in the managing director David Anderson. Anderson, the a- ABC boards uh, passes. The, oh, they repeat it. So here, hang on. Let's go down. Yeah, well, you got the gifs. Uh, a trucking boss is jailed for 2020 crash that killed uh, four Victorian police officers. A trucking boss was he driving the thing? Chris Large. He was at, wonder if he was at large for a while. I don't know, but you shouldn't be joking about things like this. All right, I won't. Chris Large, he will uh, spend at least one year in jail for failing to ensure that his company operated safely before the crash that killed four police officers in Melbourne's Eastern Freeway. And it's a simple test that can save lives, but those who take it can face a legal form of financial discrimination. Really? What's this? Because genetic testing found Megan Harriman had an increased risk of breast cancer, life insurers can legally use that information to discriminate against her. They can. That's a problem, isn't it? And Optus reveals 10 times more people affected by the the triple O failures. Well, we read about that in the other paper, didn't we? Apparently, they admit to more than 2,500 people they tried and failed to call triple O from their mobiles during last November's network outage. They previously had said it was just 228. Magistrate spares former uh, guard jail time for kissing Nomad's bikey, the bikey boss, in high security. Ooh, in the prison. Former prison guard, uh, it's uh, Liana Braithwaite, has been sentenced to 80 hours of community service for engaging in intimate relations on intimate relations on the multiple multiple times, with uh, high-ranking members of the Nomads Outlaw Motorcycle Gang. The, the girls, they like the motorcycle people, don't they? Yeah, a lot of girls are attracted to the bikies. It's always been that way. Now, Netanyahu, he vows to fight against absolute victory despite deadly attacks killing 21 of his soldiers. I thought it was 24. In the last, oh no, it was in the last 24 hours. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says Israel will push on with fighting in Gaza until absolute victory. Yeah, that's right. Uh, despite suffering one of its toughest days uh, uh, of a, a military offensive. Stage three tax cuts are only months away, but here's what could change in the meantime. Ahead of Labour's cost of living caucus, the crosshairs have been settled on the stage three tax cuts that are months away from handing more than $20 billion a year from the government back to mainly high-income earners. There we are. So that is that, and um, I think I might um, have a bit of a rest here. I'm not doing very well. So you have to forgive me. We have good days and bad days, don't we, in this job?
I'm six foot. If I go up against a six foot guy and I play basketball with him, he's gonna body me. And what even, happens even if I go up against you? Even even if I have years more of training. And so it's like you're taking away the little opportunity that we're given and we all work so hard for and you're just giving it back to biological guys. It's like this will be the end of women's sports. While dictators are honored, a democracy is scapegoated. The only country in the world with a standing agenda item at the council is not China, which violates the basic human rights of 1.5 billion people, a fifth of humanity, nor is it Iran, which beats, blinds, and poisons women and girls for the crime of protesting. It is Israel. From the council's creation in 2006 to today, the council has adopted two resolutions on Sudan, three on Venezuela, 14 on Iran, 16 on North Korea, 42 on Syria, and 103 on Israel. So more on Israel than on Iran, Syria, and North Korea combined. Crazy, isn't it? It's quarter to, yes, it looks like quarter to nine, but it's not. Man, my eyes are upset today. I think it's a combination between the uh, dyslexia and what's the other thing? And the uh, going blind, uh, I think it's the problem. It's quarter to six. And at, and at 6 o'clock, we'll have TNT Radio News. I'll bring you the weather update as well, tell you what's happening for the day. A wee bit cooler, isn't it, right over the whole country? Uh, we've got also Richard Vobes coming up very shortly. I might have time for him just before the news at 6. And also Mickey Willis. Now, Mickey Willis is up next. And uh, you can find him, M-I-K-K-I is how you spell Mickey. And he wrote The Great Awakening. And that's a great uh, documentary. You want to watch that? And so I've got a little excerpt from that coming up right uh, in, a, in a moment or three. I'm a Palestinian. From 21 until 48, I carried a Palestinian passport. There was no such thing in this area as Jews and Arabs and Palestinians. There were Jews and Arabs. And that's Golda Meir. She was Prime Minister of Israel from 1969 to 1974. It's 14 to 6. As we're about to discover together... Much of our history has been rewritten to serve an agenda that up until recently was invisible to the average person. Average, like this guy. Everyone's talking about the necessity for change right now, particularly here in the U.S. Over the past few months, as a filmmaker, I've had the honor of documenting the political revolution. That was me in 2016, the year of my political awakening. Come on, board the political I was touring with the Bernie Sanders campaign, creating media to help his grassroots movement grow. At that time, I knew very little about socialism and even less about democratic socialism. As it turned out, I wasn't the only one. So my Bernie bros, how do we redistribute wealth through taxation without expanding the powers of the federal government? Bernie Sanders! As confusion set in, I began turning my questions inward. Are they hypnotized? Am I hypnotized? That question, that one simple question activated some strange sort of faith healing. Suddenly, I could see. How did I not see this before? There were so many red flags. Oh, 
smart people. They're they know what they're doing. We have they're at the top of their game. We have somebody that's not at the top of his game, never was at the top of a game. Never was. We have a guy who's a dumb son of a bitch, and to allow this to happen. <laughs> Unbelievable, isn't it, that he said that? Uh, he's got anyway. Here's Richard Vobes. He'll he'll um he'll fill you in. He's brilliant. This guy. He's an English fellow. You'll find him on YouTube. He's always very careful what he says about the Jovid. I don't know if you're aware. There's a court case going on. I believe it's in South Africa. Anyway, the point being is this is a court case against what we've gone through. That medical emergency that I daren't say too much about in case I get another YouTube strike. You know how these things work. So I don't want to upset anybody. But that event that happened three years ago and in which the uh, the response from the people I've just mentioned, those think tanks, was to mandate certain things and, and really push a certain substance that most people felt obliged to take or and in parts of the world forced to take. Well, there's a court case there that's going to make all the facts of that come out and I think when the court case happens and these facts, the true facts, not the nonsense that we've been told, but the actual true facts that most of us are sort of gathered now, comes out in the open and we reveal how governments, and particularly our government, has been complicit in pushing a, a completely erroneous um, narrative, one that they knew was... Um, nefarious in fact and not, uh, and detrimental to the people when this court case happens i honestly believe that the government and parliament and the uh, the prime minister's office these corporations these businesses because that's what they are you only have to look at dun and bradstreet to realize that the government and the parliament and the and the prime minister's office is is actually a trading business, a business there, a corporation, to make money, that's their sole purpose, um, that uh, when this court case comes out, we'll find out this, this so-called benevolent and kind government, sorry, business, corporation, um, when it hits the fan and it all comes out, I think the government, the parliament and the prime minister's office are finished. I think it's finished because once the people actually know and realize what has happened to them by the people they've apparently voted in to help them and guide them and administer them is actually been something that has been very detrimental and nefarious and um, almost almost well i'm trying to think of words which 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 would uh, describe this without uh, causing too much uh, ruckus I suppose but sort of pure evil in a way if you like you know the little man with the horns and the red face and his little trident thing that type of uh, stuff sadistic you could say anyway when it all comes out and the Parliament folds what's left well then all that's left in theory is the king the king would have to step in wouldn't he the one that we're going to crown the one who's Oath. We don't know what his allegiance are. The one that has been, up until extremely recently, so he says, involved with the very people who've been telling the government to give us the you-know-what. So, so do we want him, when the thing hits the fan, do we want him to actually then step in and, and, and rule us? Because if we don't, we have the power not to.
not to have him because in the old days, go back far enough, we used to choose our leaders. We used to choose the king. It wasn't the sort of hereditary nonsense that we've we've been uh, led to believe it is. It was it was uh, the choice. It was chosen somebody who was an appropriate person, not somebody who's a bit mealy-mouthed and won't tell us what his allegiances are or won't quite tell us what the oath is and none of that. So I'm indebted to remind us just what we can do here, thanks to David, who actually sent me a letter, an actual physical letter, because he didn't trust that uh, email and electronic uh, technology and digital stuff isn't being read. He's pretty convinced that everything is being read or scanned for keywords, so he sent me a letter. And well done for you for working out where I was. And just to end with, he just rem wanted to remind me, of course, that there is, of course, uh, a clause, a way out of all of this if we don't want what is happening. We, the sovereign people. And he reminded me of lawful rebellion. And I just want to read what has been written here. You're right under Magna Carta. Under Article 61 of Magna Carta 1215, the founding document of the Constitution, we have a right to enter into lawful rebellion if we feel that we are being governed unjustly. Contrary to common belief, our sovereign and her government are only there to govern us and not to rule us. And this must be done within the constraint of our common law and the freedoms asserted to us by such law. Nothing can become law in this country if it falls outside of this simple constraint. Article 61 shows quite clearly who really holds the power in this country. That being, quite simply, is us the people. We have sovereignty, not any parliament, and nor can this be taken away by any parliament who claim to have taken the people's sovereignty. So there you go, Article 61. It's in our Constitution, and the Constitution is there for us against and to protect us against the parliament and the, the sovereign or the king. We have sovereignty. So if we find ourselves in this situation that the government collapses and King Charles, who's yet to tell us his oath and what he really means, and we only look and see the things he has done and the people that he's been associating with and the acts, the new acts that he suddenly decided is going to be good for us, i.e. the precision breeding, then maybe when this all happens, he isn't necessarily the right person to be our king. Just a thought. I mean, it's almost there, isn't it? It's almost there because when you go down in the street and you look for the bunting and you look for the flag and you look for the sense that people are actually embracing this man to be our sovereign, it's very difficult to find it, isn't it? There we are, Richard Vobes, and you can find him over at YouTube. He's very interesting, isn't he? Nice fellow, has a good way with words. Samantha Edwards coming up, uh, but before we do, let's go over to, um, I've got a, a little report here from The Centrist. Now, a, a preview, a reprint preview suggests that the post-vaccination, uh, there may be non-specific effects, NSEs they call them, to the immune system that increase the risk of infections unrelated to the targeted disease. 
uh, vaccines, we'd better call them jaccines, that do not contain a live or weakened pathogen are called non-live jaccines and were linked to more negative NSEs, uh, potentially increasing susceptibility to other infections, specifically in girls. And uh, according to the Children's Health Defence, for example, girls receiving the non-live DPD vaccine uh, died at twice the rate of unvaccinated girls, according to one study, with a uh, comparable disadvantage to vaccinated boys. There we are. And also um, got an email from, um, who's it from now? Um, Hobson's Pledge. It is uh, Don Brash. There we are. And what does Don say? He says, Dear friend, uh, things are heating up and it looks like we might just get the conversation about the treaty that we've been asking for. But if you think that the activists with their extremist interpretations of the treaty are going to play fair, think again. We must step up and stand strong. There is no other option. Defending democracy, true uh, equality under the law for all Kiwis is simply too important. I'll be honest with you, after the huge push we did for the election, we had a long and hard look at what the future of Hobson's Pledge might look like. But seeing the viciousness of the opposition and frankly the disingenuousness of the media, we concluded that we have no option but to keep on going. In fact, we need to kick it up a gear. Uh, this is a pivotal moment in our nation, nation's history and we either seize it or accept a future of separatism and disunity. Uh, we will ha we ha you will have seen how effective we can be throughout the election period, but that will all be not for nothing if the separatists and their friends in the media can browbeat Christopher Luxon, the Prime Minister. He needs your support. Over the weekend, the Maori King hosted an event that was dubbed the National Hui Meeting, that is, a National Hui for Unity. Before we go on, it's important to note that the Maori King is not recognised by all iwi or tribe, and so his title is somewhat inaccurate. A large iwi, or tribe, like Tuhoi, Ngāti Poru, and uh, Ngāpui, they have historically rejected the Kingitanga movement. And of course, most New Zealanders don't recognise him as king at all. Thousands of people attended the event, including the Minister for Māori Development, Tama Potaka, and fellow National MP Dan Bidwar, leader of the opposition Chris Hipkins, attended also. However, New Zealand First gave the event a miss, uh, with the Minister Shane Jones predicting it would be a moan session. The whole point of the meeting was an attempt to unify Māori activists in asserting that Māori never ceded sovereignty to the British Crown. This is a radical and dangerous rewriting of history. It is a far cry from what was said in the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi on the 6th of February 1840, and what prominent thought leaders like Sir Aprahana Nata have written over the years. Even before the gathering commenced, media were engaging in misinformation campaigns that appeared designed to whip up opposition to the government. TV1, our state broadcaster, described the proposed treaty principles bill as a rewrite of the treaty. This is a complete lie and has never been proposed. Inflammatory statements calling the government and its leaders white supremacists were also blatant lies and designed to create more division. Unity was supposed to be the theme of the day, but it was evident that the only unity Hui leaders were interested in was between those organising 
those New Ze- uh, organising against those New Zealanders seeking true political equality, uh, a definite use, uh, vice versa. Uh, a dynamic was present. There we are. Uh, we must reject the drive to split New Zealand even further by race, and we cannot allow ahistorical rewrites of the treaty to become entrenched. We'll go to TNT Radio News right now. This hour, go to episodes at tntradio.live. Now, TNT Radio News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. Two motorists were killed, tens of thousands of people were left without electricity, and hundreds of trains were cancelled Monday after the latest winter storm lashed Britain and Ireland with heavy rain and wind gusts that topped 100 miles per hour. The storm littered roads and railways with downed trees that created deadly hazards and blocked travel, disrupting morning commutes. On Sunday night, an 84-year-old male passenger in a car in Scotland and a van driver in his 60s in Northern Ireland were killed when their vehicles struck toppled trees. The UK's Met Office Weather Service had issued an unusual wind warning for the whole country before Storm Isha, which peaked overnight after exceeding forecasts for 90-mile-per-hour gusts. Continued their protests on Monday by blocking roads with tractors and trucks, a movement that began last week, according to local media reports. They obstructed highway exits in southwestern France and shut down roads to the Gulfect nuclear plant north of Toulouse, though the plant continued its electricity production. The farmers are protesting against high taxes on tractor fuel, the influx of cheap imports, price pressures from retailers, a lack of water, and extensive bureaucracy at national and EU levels. These protests in France are part of a broader wave of demonstrations by farmers across Europe, including Germany, the Netherlands, Poland, and Romania. German farmers have been particularly vocal, protesting against both EU regulations and a decision by the German government to reduce diesel subsidies by 480 billion euros, coinciding with the announcement of doubling support for Ukraine to 8 billion euros in 2024. German farmers have been blocking roads in Berlin and other areas since December, leading to a decision by the government to implement subsidy cuts gradually. Chief Yosef Borrell says that the Israeli military actions in Gaza could deepen resentment among Palestinians for many years. He advocates for Israel to de-escalate its military operations and pursue a peaceful two-state solution. Borrell, speaking before an EU Foreign Affairs Council meeting, expressed his intention to discuss with Israel's delegation a holistic approach to peace, encompassing both immediate conflict resolution and long-term issues related to Palestinian statehood. Which are the other solutions they have in mind? To make all the Palestinians live? Kill of them? 25,000 already in Gaza. 70% are women and children. Certainly, the way you're trying to destroy Hamas is not the way they're doing, because they are seeding the hate for generations. At a rally Monday night in New Hampshire, former President Donald Trump promised the four greatest years in the history of our country if he returns to the White House. See it at the polls. The, uh, the people are, it's amazing. I appreciate it so much because normally what you do is you just put your head down. I guess you have to get the hell out. And every week we go up and up and up. And somebody said, don't indict him anymore. Please, you're killing us. You're going to indict him right into the White House. We don't want to have that. Northern Escape Heliskiing, a heliskiing company based in Terrace, British Columbia, reported that three people died following a helicopter crash in west-central British Columbia. The company confirmed the fatalities in a press release, 
but did not disclose the total number of individuals involved in the crash near the city. BC Emergency Health Services was alerted to the crash on the afternoon of January 22nd. In response, three air ambulances and five ground ambulances were dispatched to the scene. Four patients were treated by paramedics and then transported to Mills Memorial Hospital in Terrace in critical condition. Sub-Lieutenant Wilson Ho, a spokesperson for the Joint Rescue Coordination Center in Victoria, stated that a CH-149 Cormorant helicopter was deployed to aid in the response. Back with another news break at the top of the next hour. This has been James O'Neill for TNT. Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars. It's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to TNTradio.live. You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, The World at Five. 88.1 88.1 FM, the wireless weather. Right, let's check out that weather. We uh, have got an extended forecast for all of New Zealand. Uh, for Thursday, for the North Island, showers in the east, a partly cloudy elsewhere with the chance of a shower inland. For the South Island on Thursday, uh, fine for Nelson, Marlborough, rain or showers developing in Fiordland, Southland and Clutha and partly cloudy elsewhere. For Friday in the North Island, mainly fine. Isolated showers for Hawke's Bay, Gisborne, Northland as well. The South Island, you can expect rain in Fiordland and Southland, Southwestern. And uh, heavy at times, uh, scattered rain for the Southern Lakes, Southland and Clutha, and cloud increasing elsewhere. For Saturday in the North Island, rain developing in the west, south of Waikato, scattered rain for Wairarapa. Cloud increasing elsewhere in the South Island on Saturday, rain in the west and south, both heavy at times and it's going to be easing though a bit later on on Saturday. Scattered rain in the north, isolated showers elsewhere. The extended uh, forecast for the Chatham Islands, fine at first on Thursday, south easterlies, then cloud increasing, a few showers developing on Friday, uh, about you've got some south easterlies dying out, and cloud increasing on Saturday with the possible shower, and you can expect some northerlies there as well. This is Samantha Edwards. Now talk about the infamous abortion bill of 2020 and the act that saw changes come to pass that saddled New Zealand with the world's most extreme abortion laws. Laws that coincidentally came into effect the night before our very first lockdown, March 25th, 2020. Winston had carefully targeted the values and pro-life vote over a long period of time leading up to the 2017 election. This included speaking at Family First's high-profile forum on the family event, where he stated that he opposed the decriminalising of abortion and where he even admitted that life begins at conception. When do, when do, for you personally, when do you think life begins? When does an child, unborn child have a right to life? At what point in their life? Well, you speaking biologically, life begins from the very start. Conception. Yeah. Peters consistently brandished his pro-life credentials with 100% pro-life on abortion ratings in a number of leader questionnaires on pro-life issues. The results of those questionnaires were circulated in the Value Your Vote guides to tens of thousands of households across New Zealand and positioned his party as the one to elect for this part of the voting public. 
This was also a position reinforced by his MP Tracy Martin, who represented New Zealand First on stage at the 2017 Forum on the Family election event, where she confirmed the party supported keeping abortion in the Crimes Act and not decriminalising it. There's, uh, you would have heard just in our discussion, there's a very strong push to decriminalise abortion. It's not mm. a legal issue, mm. it's a health issue. Where does New Zealand First stand um, on that? For me, it has to stay in the Crimes Act because to do it in any other way than what is dictated is a crime. However, soon after, once Winston was elected into Parliament and for his next three years in office, he delivered an extraordinarily different follow-through to what his pro-life supporters had trusted he would. In 2018, Right to Life UK published this video explaining that the New Zealand Parliament was set to debate a new abortion bill which would permit abortion up to full term. National MP Chris Pink says <coughs> the changes mean you are, quote, liberalising abortion right up to birth. Is he right? No, that, that's an absurd sort of statement that gets made by the, the fanatic anti-abortion people. If, hypothetically speaking, a woman was to go to her doctor after 22 weeks with no medical complications and say... I don't want to have this baby, I want to have an abortion, and the doctor agrees, is there anything to stop that from happening? Well, the, the health professional carrying out the abortion will have an ob obligation to be satisfied that the abortion is appropriate given mm. uh, the woman's uh, physical and mental health as well as her well-being. Part 1, Clause 7, of the New Zealand government's abortion legislation bill outlines that abortion would be available from between 20 weeks and birth on well-being grounds. It will only be up to a single doctor, or nurse, to decide what well-being includes. In practice, this will allow for abortion, for any reason, right through to birth. If this bill like passes, being done with New the Zealand will have the most extreme abortion the same time, legislation the in the world. Act was being targeted for change, and the health community and our medical professionals were again being completely sidestepped by doing so. It was confirmed that Winston Peters gave his express approval for the Crimes Act to be changed, to essentially allow the success of this exceedingly merciless bill, as had been done for the end-of-life choice bill, with his guidance and assistance. Against his explicit promises, he then gave his explicit approval for abortion to indeed be decriminalised. Even the secular publication of Scoop Politics New Zealand deemed Winston's actions as a failure by New Zealand First to protect our unborn children in a mortifying betrayal of their campaign promises. You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, The World at Five. Now you can hear the full documentary of Samantha Edwards over at Countersman Media. You can find them at countersmanmedia.com. And it is 11 minutes past six and we'll go to Radio New Zealand now. You can find them at rnz.co.nz. And the front page there, a $1 million counteroffensive to overturn live animal export ban. Lobbyists, PR experts and lawyers are being paid to counter criticism of animal welfare standards in live exports. Just come through. Rangitike, Wanganui Council sends strong message of support at Ratna. Local government leaders have addressed the paipai at Ratna with message. I'm not sure what paipai means. With messages of support, laying down. You, you think they'd put it in brackets, wouldn't you? What the heck that means? Uh, laying down uh, their a plea, uh, laying down support, and laying down pleas for Maori to make their political views understood. And the Royal New Zealand Defence Force deployment to the Red Sea has shades of Iraq. Labour says the Labour Party is condemning the coalition government's deployment of Defence Force troops to the Middle East. And Barbie. Barbie misses, uh, misses the key Oscar nods 
that's not very good, is it? For Gerwig and Robbie. The director and star of Barbie were snubbed in major categories for the newly announced Oscar nominations. Uh, Trump, he seeks a big victory. Haley tries to stop him at the New Hampshire votes as they vote. And Luxon says opposition on the treaty bill clear, but doesn't unequivocally rule out. Uh, it doesn't rule it out. And uh, Kiwi Erin, uh, her name is Rutliff. She is into the Australian Open double semis. Kiwi Saver financial hardship withdrawals rise yet again, and I'll look at that in detail a little bit later on. And uh, fire ravages homes. Residents describe the horror. It is terrible. And there we are. We've got the Ratner celebrations. They begin uh, discussions uh, for Ahui right across New Zealand, expected to continue. And we'll go now to Radio New Zealand and we will have a listen to their 6 o'clock bulletin, which has just come through about 14 minutes ago. RNZ News at 6 o'clock. Atamaria, good morning. I'm Karen McCarthy. Politicians will be turning up at Ratana Pa in Whanganui today for the annual celebrations commemorating the church's founder in what's usually seen as the beginning of the political year. It's also a rare chance for Māori to address politicians directly on the pai, something that holds extra weight this year because these celebrations come so soon after the extraordinary national hui held in Waikato last weekend. Aratana spokesperson Kamaka Manuel says the day holds opportunity for politicians. The special thing about our marae is that we welcome everybody with the same uh, essence of manaakitanga and uh, we operate on the values and the principles and the philosophies of, of our founder which includes rangi Māori so we do allow them to have their speak if you like. Kamaka Manuel says that Atana has the chance to oversee the ongoing discussions from last weekend's Hui A Motu. An international relations analyst is warning New Zealand's deployment of troops to the Middle East could be seen as backing Israel in the Gaza conflict. New Zealand is sending six soldiers to the region to support future military action against Houthi targets in response to a request from the United States. Yemeni Houthis, who support the Palestinians, have been attacking container ships in the Red Sea, which they say are linked to Israel. The analyst, Robert Patman, says the deployment could be interpreted as New Zealand shifting its weight behind the United States, which backs Israel. It may be construed, perhaps unfairly, that we have basically decided to support the United States' position in relation to Gaza. The Foreign Affairs Minister Winston Peters says the deployment should not be conflated with New Zealand's position on the Israel-Gaza conflict. The British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak says initial evidence from overnight US and British airstrikes in Yemen suggests all intended targets were destroyed. He told Parliament he was not prepared to stand by and allow the Houthi movement to endanger shipping in the Red Sea. Qatar has said that escalation in the Red Sea represents a big danger. The Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has vowed that Israel will not stop fighting in Gaza until total victory. He was speaking after the deaths of 21 Israeli soldiers, the worst single incident for the Israeli army since its offensive began. The BBC's Yolanda Nell reports. With a prayer and full military honours, this was one of the first funerals for 21 Israeli reservists. The Israeli army said they were killed in a blast in two buildings where they'd laid explosives for demolition after Palestinian fighters fired at a nearby tank. 
Earlier, it said that three soldiers were also killed in southern Gaza. The deaths came amid what's said to have been the heaviest fighting since the start of the new year, as the Israeli army pushed into the remaining parts of Khan Yunis, seen as a stronghold of Hamas. Economists anticipate that annual inflation will have eased to its lowest level in more than two years. The consumer price index is due out this morning and the expectations are for a rise of 0.5% for the three months ended December. That would bring the annual rate down to 4.7% from 56 Here's our business editor, Giles Beckford. Lower prices for fuel, food and airfares are expected to drive the slowdown in inflation. But it's the high domestic costs of power, rates, rents and insurance which are proving far more stubborn. Last November, the Reserve Bank said inflation was still too high and talked about raising interest rates. Even if there's a sharp drop in today's numbers, the bank won't be claiming victory until inflation is back in its target band of 1% to 3%. And that means continued high interest rates for much of this year. The polls have opened in the U.S. state of New Hampshire for presidential primary contests, with the main focus on the battle for the Republican nomination between Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. The former U.S. ambassador to the U.N. is hoping to push the former president close to keep alive her campaign, although Mr. Trump has a clear lead in the opinion polls. The BBC's Emma Vardy is at an election centre in New Hampshire. In previous years, you would have had lots of candidates still on the ballot at this point. So lots of campaigning, a real battle. The race could have, you know, gone in many different directions in the months to come. But here, a straight head-to-head between Donald Trump and Nikki Haley means that if Trump gets a big win here, he could have it all wrapped up uh, by the end of tomorrow. And really, that would then set up the general election, the presidential election in November, as being a rematch between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. The U.S. Geological Survey reports Vanuatu was shaken by a magnitude 6.3 earthquake early this morning. The survey says it struck 43 kilometres southwest of the capital, Port Vila, and was 37.2 kilometres deep. The Vanuatu Meteorology and Geohazards Department says the quake happened at 1.34 a.m. local time and there is no threat of a destructive tsunami. Two water tankers were sent into the Wellington suburb of Houghton Bay after a burst main cut water to 200 homes yesterday. Contractors worked into the night to repair the pipe and the supply was restored at about 4 o'clock this morning. A resident says they are frustrated that a large volume leak has been allowed to go unattended for days until it escalated, undermining the pavement in the hillside neighbourhood. That's the news. Well, thank you very much. That is the news. Here's Jordan Peterson on castration. 19 minutes past six. I'll be back in a moment and we'll um, see what other stories they've got to offer. What? Tory what? Castration and double mastectomies for 13-year-olds? Well, yeah. No, or seriously, oh, yeah. man. That's, that's crossed the line. That is not tolerance. In, in that case. is an inexcusable silence on the part of the majority, the vast majority, who knows this to be wrong in the deepest possible sense. Most of the bloody Nazi propaganda that led to the extermination policies at the beginning of World War II were predicated initially on compassion and tolerance. So this whole, we're being compassionate and tolerant, it's like, no you're not. You're aiding and abetting the surgical mutilation of minors. That is not compassionate and it's not tolerant. More news from RNZ. Helen Clark weighs in on the international crisis. The world has some grim reality, she says. Former Prime Minister Helen Clark, uh, she has warned that New Zealand needs to keep its head. 
when it comes to signing international statements. Uh, she's over at Davos at the moment, having a bit of a chinwag over there. And also, why there seems to be, have you noticed, there's fewer cicadas around this summer, the lack of cicadas in some parts of the country. There's nothing to worry about, according to Root Climbast. That story at rnz.co.nz. Dog owners are warned of the risk of poisoning from caraca tree berries, the berries. So watch out for that. And uh, we've got retail investors. Their confidence has picked up in the last quarter. Uh, Sherry's index, the Sherry's index, pointed to increased confidence uh, from the United States Federal Reserve. They would, they would cut interest rates sooner rather than later. And struggling shoppers uh, picking up pasta, rice, potatoes and bread to keep their tummies full. But you really, you'd be better off just losing a bit of weight because all that's going to do is make you fat and silly because it does, it dumbs you down. And uh, so I think you'd be better off having a good old steak or some mince. Mince is not that expensive at the moment. And add some fat to it. Make sure you get some fat. Tell the butcher I want plenty of fat in my mince, please, because you need that for healing. And I would say that you would be better off in the long run because you wouldn't be visiting the doctor because carbohydrates is not going to uh, not going to help you in the long run. Okay, that's Radio New Zealand. Uh, I will be uh, back in a moment uh, and we'll have a look at News Hub and see if they've got anything new on offer this morning for us. Here's Mickey Willis, and it's a state of fear. You can find his uh, documentary film on our website, the link to it. If you go to thewireless.nz, you'll find the link to it there. Walk me through, if you would, what happens scientifically inside our minds when we're in a state of fear, and then how that affects our external choices and the direction of our lives. This is well-known and well-researched in the psychological literature and the psychiatric literature, that when someone is afraid, when someone is in a state of fear, that person cannot think rationally. You resort back to a more primitive way of making decisions, which is highly emotionally driven. And when you're placed in a chronic state of fear, as we have been, you end up in a, what I would call a traumatized state, meaning that you're not just momentarily scared, you are frozen. You have seen your ability to think critically suspended. The issue is not about COVID or vaccines or anything else. It's not that. That is the polarizing impulse that gives rise to our general sense of ill at ease, which then amplifies our willingness to fall for reflexive classifications like race or, you know, the isms that we want to fight about. The more we can distract people by creating the illusion that says everything is fearful, the more we can manipulate the population. We were groomed for decades to be fearful, whether it was drop and cover. We must be ready all the time if the atomic bomb explodes. Duck and cover. To protect against the threat of nuclear annihilation, or more recently, the impending ecological collapse of our planet in 12 years that AOC and Greta Thunberg keep warning us about. The world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. How dare you? All of these fears are grounded to some degree in reality. They're not completely invented, but they are exaggerated so greatly that we cannot actually reason through them anymore. When people are afraid, they won't just accept authoritarianism, they'll demand it. They will demand it. Somebody do something. Somebody take charge and tell me 
what to do. Like, where do I stand? Where do I walk? What do we do? What are the rules? And again, people in power always use that, right? Where they say, never let a good crisis go to waste. We can take this and we can now enact policies that normally we wouldn't be able to get away with. Maybe in a couple of decades when people look back, the thing they will remember from the COVID crisis, this was the moment that we agreed to be surveyed all the time. And maybe even after the event is over, maybe we can still keep 30%. And over time, multiple crises, oh, suddenly you have a government or an individual who has far more power than they're actually supposed to. The leaders of the mass, the people who pronounce a narrative in public space, usually or hypnotized themselves, they believe they need to reshape society to be able to deal with the challenges society faces. And they believe so fanatically in that ideology that they think it's justified to manipulate and cheat and to use all kinds of narratives to convince people to go along with that ideology. We're going to go visit mom. I'm going to bring the home family to see mom. Uh, no. We will shut you down. We will cite you. And if we need to, we will arrest you and we will take you to jail. You either get your tests done and make sure you're cleared or we will keep you in a facility longer. It's going to be very hard for people to do a lot of normal life unless they can prove their vaccination status. Such as you're not going to work in this particular agency or institution. You're not going to be able to go to this college or this university. Once we start doing that, you will see more and more people willingly get vaccinated. If the fear of losing your job, your friends, family, and future isn't enough to coerce you into submission, perhaps these incentives will entice you to willingly comply. It's everything from cash prizes to college scholarships. Now offering kids 12 and up limited edition Avengers comic books. Thousands of prizes available. Including cruises and Super Bowl tickets. They're giving away Lord F-150 trucks. They're giving away shotguns and hunting rifles. Marijuana dispensaries are giving away joints for Jack. Krispy Kreme announcing this week a free donut. And yes, free beer. That's right. Get a shot and have a beer. Today could be your lucky day. California's vaccine lottery. One grand winner to take home. Up to five million dollars if you get vaccinated next week. They made it exciting, right? There's a reason people go to Vegas. It really could be somewhat lucrative if they aren't already persuaded. 13-year-old Joshua says one of the best parts of getting a shot at Mickey D's, lunch on the house. Just think of this when you think of vaccination. Mmm. Vaccination. If you need luck with love, dating apps are offering incentives to Vienna Brothel is providing COVID-19 vaccinations and giving those who take up the offer a 30-minute session with a, quote, lady of their choice. We have finally found the one thing that makes us all more attractive, a vaccination. To love one another, as Jesus said, get vaccinated, get boosted. Do you think that it's being posed as politics, but it's behaving like a religion? Because it's acting like a religion. Yeah, it's a dogmatic, it's yeah. absolute, it's if you do not believe in it, you yeah. are condemned to hell. Maybe this is a new religion. God did answer our prayers. He made the smartest men and women, the scientists, the doctors, the researchers, he made them come up with a vaccine. That is from God to us. And we must say thank you, God. Thank you.
Well, it was scary times, wasn't it? <laughs> there we are. Mickey Willis there, a great documentary worth looking at. Uh, we're moving back to New Zealand now. Fisheries Minister Shane Jones, he labels the tribal members as subcultural truants for threatening the annual fishing competition in the north. Fisheries Minister has described members of the North Island tribal, the tribe is called Nati Kahu, as subcultural truants after they threatened to stop an annual fishing competition. It comes in response to the Doubtless Bay Fishing Classic coming under threat on Tuesday by tribal members who said they intend to blockade both, both ramps they say are on their territory. In a social media post shared by members of the tribe to Facebook community pages, they said the action was meant to send a message to the participants of the competition and also to the government for its plans to abolish the Treaty of Waitangi. However, Fisheries Minister Shane Jones, he told NewsHub, the notion that this is related to the government's manifesto is absolute crap, quote-unquote. This is an activity of a small, delusional, irrelevant group, he says. He went on to say he described the group as outlaws who are trying to ruin the fishing competition that's been running for decades. He said, I'm offended by their behaviour. He went on to say the fishing competition actually raises money and that money goes to local communities. And the minister has a message to those keen to participate in the event. He says, I say to all members wanting to enjoy the fishing competition, just get on with it. Jones said the boat ramp in Doubtless Bay, an access way to the beautiful marine environment. He said it's a public asset, largely funded by the community, not by a tiny group of angry birds. Most Maori are embarrassed by their antics. Nati Kahu representative, uh, Wikitana Potaka, he spoke with News Hub earlier yesterday saying organisers of the event have never bothered to consult them over the contest, despite their fishing, to, to uh, rather, to deplete, he reckons, deplete their fishing stocks. He said, our plan is to block off all access points of our Moana. Uh, that's what he told News Hub. He said, for years now, these community members have disrespected the Ngāti Kahu. They have never bothered to include us. They never bothered to consult Ngāti Kahu in any way. Runanga chairperson Margaret Mutu, she told News Hub, Ropata doesn't speak for the whole tribe. Well, she said iwi, but it's the tribe, isn't it? Because we've got, a, we've got other people listening that don't know what the heck iwi means. Uh, this is a matter for Ngāti Kahu. Uh, they are aware of, but they uh, are yet to have discussions, uh, especially with the organisers of the competition, Mutu said. Event organiser Nick Ryan, he describes it as a no-win situation. He said, I just want people to exercise their right to fish. With 3,000 tourists beginning to descend on the area from across the country, he said it's too late to cancel. We were somewhat stunned that the people that have made these sort of outlandish, in my view, statements in the last 24 hours have spoken so long to come up, rather taken so long to come up with, uh, with this and, and put us into a no-win situation. He said, I'm sitting here trying to organise a charitable event and now I'm getting into a treaty war. Ryan said the community is behind the competition, but Ropata, he says that he has plenty of supporters for the blockade. He said, I can muster a hundred of my own family. So let's see what happens. That's what he told. Let's see what happens. Sounds very threatening to me. He said the blockade will begin on Friday morning, no matter what. Blimey. So she's starting to hot up, isn't it? Starting to get a bit heated. It's not too good. Now, um, have you heard of Scott Ritter? Uh, he's very good. You can find a, um, I think, News Hub, not News Hub, um, Counterspin Media. 
They did a classic interview with Scott Ritter. Uh, he's a former weapons inspector. This is what he says what's going on in Canada. 28 minutes to 7, I think, isn't it? What are we up to? Yeah, 28 to 7. Canada is the third country in terms of the number of Ukrainians. There are more Ukrainians than in my homeland. For comparison, Ukrainian diaspora in the United States amounts to around 1 million people, while in Canada, it constitutes 1.3 million people. They represent a significant political force. And, of course, they lobby for the interests of Kyiv and the right-wing radicals in the country. What surprised me is that the descendants of some nationalists are shaping Canada's policies today. For example, Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Finance, Christia Freeland. Her much-loved grandfather, Mikhailo Komiak, worked as the editor-in-chief of a Nazi newspaper, Krakauer Nachrichten, Krakow News, in Poland. Historical figure of the 20th century, that's how this newspaper referred to Adolf Hitler. Its readers were convinced that the population of Galatia was ready to fight and die for a wholly unjust cause designed by you-know-who. Undoubtedly, children are not responsible for the actions of their parents, but Freeland calls her grandfather not a criminal, but a victim. A victim of the Soviet regime, of course. In 2016, Freeland paid tribute to her ancestor on Twitter. It turns out that her grandfather worked diligently to restore freedom and democracy to Ukraine by supporting Hitler and the Holocaust, I suppose. Freeland herself made a contribution to the destruction of the USSR. In the 1980s, she brought anti-Soviet propaganda materials, money, and video and audio recording equipment to Soviet Ukraine for local nationalists. As a result, she was banned from entering the Soviet Union. Today, in Russia, Freeland is also considered persona non grata. However, in the West, her photo with a flag of the Ukrainian insurgent army, a terrorist organization, does not hinder her political career. It was Freeland, together with former Prime Minister of the United Kingdom Boris Johnson, who convinced Western European countries to quickly supply weapons to Ukraine. In 2022, Canada provided Ukraine with $2 billion in direct financial assistance, an additional $500 million through bonds, and over $2.5 billion for military and humanitarian aid. Moreover, in Canada, the United States, the United Kingdom, and other countries, PLOST, which is an analog of Hitler Jugend, the Hitler Youth, operates freely. A youth organization of Ukrainian nationalists that, during World War II, trained militia for the OUN and the SS Volunteer Division Galatia. It was established as early as 1911. Stepan Bandera and Roman Shukovich emerged from PLOST. Among active members of this organization were also Canadian Minister Christia Freeland. The fostering of xenophobia and Russophobia continues today. PLOST members were present during the Maidan protests and later participated in the killings of residents in Donbass. In 2019, under pressure from the Ukrainian diaspora, Zelensky became the first president to officially recognize the PLAST movement in Ukraine through legislation. It has now become the primary educational structure for young Ukrainians funded by the state. This is just one aspect of Zelensky's bloody agreement. Let's call it task number eight, the legalization of Nazism. 25 to seven, and uh, who have we got coming up? We've got Steve Kirsch going to be talking to us about the Jack scenes, and uh, that's coming up very shortly uh, within the next few minutes. Now we'll go over to the centrists, as you can find there at centrist.co.nz. 
and their front page story is certain vaccine types may increase the risk of other infections, particularly in girls. Research suggests non-live vaccines may increase the risk of unrelated infections, particularly in girls. These are the facts. Vaccines uh, may affect the immune system, increasing the risk of unrelated infections, particularly in girls receiving non-live vaccines. Non-live vaccines are linked to negative NSEs, while live pathogen vaccines generally show positive NSEs, but also have associated risks. Other stories there, uh, productivity, the Productivity Commission's misuse of public funds. The Commission's job is to focus on efficiency. It focuses on equity instead. It recommends introducing a Social Inclusion Act, not its job. Not its job. A growing tide of challenging radical gender ideology in schools. Former Minister of Education Jan Tanetti. She dismisses any concerns as conspiracy-based thinking and the product of an imported culture war. Pharmax secrecy warps debate in New Zealand drug funding. How much does Pharmac pay for vital medications? That story you can find at thecentrist.co.nz. And debunking the climate change claims New Zealand's weather trends show catastrophic shifts. Too many jobs, too many research grants, too many scary sensational stories that sell advertising are dependent on keeping the catastrophic themes alive. And, well, uh, the media continues to overplay the victim card. Uh, verbal attacks against journalists and understandable form of return fire, are they? Well, we don't know. New Zealand government plans, uh, changes affecting renters and landlords, significant reforms in the works. Also, report advises against support for second Auckland Harbour crossing. Staff recommended pursuing small improvements instead. And uh, we've got uh, also, as part of uh, the centrist, they have New Zealand News Essentials. Uh, fact Check 201, XFDS Part 2. Uh, can we get certainty without an impartial and a comprehensive inquiry? Uh, the treaty genie is out of the bottle. What do the left want to fight? These are the headlines on thecentrist.co.nz and that's where you can find them, centrist or thecentrist.co.nz. Kamikaze damage control. Have Greens overstepped the delicate line of politicians interfering with scales of justice in the Golders Garriman investigation? A closer look at its section 117 of the Crimes Act may be warranted here. The media continues to overplay the victim card. Oh, yeah, we had that, didn't we? And Martin Bradbury's emotional critique of emotion-driven politics misses the mark. There we are. Chill bomber. Not everything is racist. Mm-hmm. That are the, those are the stories. Some of them there. Oh, some, a few others here. Decolonization and the controversy in modern science. To say that science is systematically racist is nonsense. And brash on New Zealand's potential involvement in the UK, in the Australia, UK, US. Hard pass, they say. I'm not sure what that means. So there we are. And uh, what other stories have we got? No, that's a, a bit of a repetition there. Okay, let's uh, check out, see what happened on this day in history. If you're having a birthday, good on you. Have a, have a great day today. Uh, we've got some uh, story here. The British troops, they invade the South Taranaki area on this day in 1865. Lieutenant General Duncan Cameron set out on what was to prove to be his final campaign in, in New Zealand with more than 1,000 troops under his command. Governor George Grey and the colonial government 
had been unable to persuade Cameron to mount a further campaign in the Waikato. Keen to make use of the imperial troops while they still had them, they turned their attention to South Taranaki, a secondary bastion of Maori independence. Gray was unimpressed with what he saw as a slow and timid advance. Pai Māori leader Te Ua Haumere Mene, uh, he uh, allegedly mocked Cameron uh, doubling him as the lame seagull. But in reality, Cameron's operations were largely effective. He won substantial victories in Nukumaru on the 24th and 25th of January and at Tinao on the 13th of March. It was his refusal to attack a modern pa in Wairaroa, Wairaroa where he led the, uh, where, uh, that led to the collapse of the relationship between him and the governor, Governor Gray. Cameron had learned from the bitter experience in Waikato that it's not generally desirable to attack, to attack such positions. Gray enhanced his reputation at Cameron's expense when he took Wairaroa in July. The Pa had long since lost any strategic significance and only a small number of Maori defenders remained in it. Cameron had submitted his resignation early in the campaign and it was now accepted. He left New Zealand on the 1st of August. Also on this day, the Soviet ambassador was expelled in 1980. New Zealand government ordered the Soviet Union's ambassador, Vizilod Zoflinsky, <laughs> to leave the country within 72 hours after he allegedly delivered money to a pro-Soviet socialist unity party, the SUP. Expulsion, his expulsion resulted in an incident shortly before Christmas when he met SUP National Secretary George Jackson at an Auckland motel. During the meeting, the Soviet ambassador supposedly handed over $10,000, equivalent to nearly $55,000 in 2020. New Zealand Security Intelligence Service, which had bugged the room, captured the uh, tran- uh, the, the uh, trans- transaction on, on tape, and although there was some doubt about Safinsky's uh, precise role and both parties vehemently denied money had changed hands, the then Prime Minister, Robert Muldoon, felt that there was sufficient evidence to expel the ambassador. Despite fears this move could derail the New Zealand-USSR trade relations, the superpower retaliated merely by expelling New Zealand's ambassador to Moscow. The country's re-established formal diplomatic relations in 1984 under the Longy government, the Labour Party Longy government. There we are. Now, we'll move back to Radio New Zealand and see if they've got anything fresh for us. It doesn't look as though they do. Okay. Uh, Do they have any world news? Let's see what they've got there. No, it all looks rather dull. Trump seeks a big win, a big victory. Haley um, tries to stop him at the New Hampshire votes. The Votes in New Hampshire will decide whether to hand Donald Trump a guide, a glide path to the Republican presidential nomination or bolster rival Nikki Haley's long, sh- a long shot. I don't think she's got a, a snowball's chance, has she, really? Also, the Israeli military, they say 24 soldiers. Actually, it was 21, I think, as far as I know. It was 21 soldiers in the last 24 hours. Israeli soldiers were killed during the intense fighting in the Gaza Strip. Uh, marking the highest one-day Israeli death toll since the fighting began. And Barbie misses out on the Oscars. The director and star of Barbie were snubbed in major categories for the newly announced 
Oscar nominations. Former Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison, he quits politics. It ends a 16-year career in federal parliament, including four years as Prime Minister. And there's a fake Joe Biden. He's telling voters to skip the primaries. The fake robocall claiming to be the US President Joe Biden has urged voters to skip Tuesday's primary election in New Hampshire. A powerful 7.1 earthquake strikes Kyrgyz... Kyrgyz uh, look like, oh gosh, I struggle with these names. Kyrgyz, Kyrgyzstan, is it? Kyrgyz, Kyrgyzstan, that's the border of China anyway. One of those stands up there. Uh, several injuries and collapsed houses reported to the Chinese state media. Seven people found shot dead Shot dead in uh, two locations in Chicago. Seven people have been found shot to death. Seven. Wow, that's a lot, isn't it? Uh, inside two homes in Chicago. A man who knew the victims was being sought by investigators as a suspect. And US and UK launched fresh strikes on the Houthis in Yemen. The second joint operation between the US and UK target underground storage missiles that they say need to be destroyed. Uh, Australian forces, they storm a hospital. Israeli, uh, uh, Israeli forces storm a hospital uh, and uh, as the fight escalates. Palestinians say that the bloody fighting in uh, Kug Khan uh, Yunus <laughs> has cut has cut off, they cut the wounded off from the trauma care, and U.S. Navy SEALs presumed dead after an anti-Houthi mission. Two U.S. Navy SEALs went missing during the operation to seize Iranian-made weapons bound for Houthis in Yemen. Uh, they are now presumed dead. Uh, Australian gold visa scheme for the wealthy has been wealthy investors has been axed. That's what they did. And India, India Prime Minister opens the Grand Temple on raised mosque site. India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi has taken part in the rituals to open the Grand Temple to the Hindu god Ram. US authorities say more Boeing 737, 737 planes should uh, be checked after the MAX 9 incident. Former uh, US Federal Aviation Administration late on Sunday recommended airline operations uh, that are operating the Boeing 737-900ER jets suspect door plugs, to they should check them, I should say, inspect them, to ensure that they are properly secured after some operators reported uh, unspecified issues. And the landslide in southwest China buries at least 47 people. Rescue efforts are underway in sub-zero temperatures in the southwestern province of Yunnan. And a dozen people are killed in an attempt to rescue a son from Mexican cartel hitman. Another seven escaped and some were probably wounded, according to officials. And, of course, we've got the Duchess of York, her diagnosis with skin cancer. The Duchess of York's been diagnosed with a malignant melanoma following the removal of a cancerous mole during treatment for breast cancer. Russia suspends operations at fuel export terminals after suspected Ukrainian drone attack. Russian energy company Novatek said it had been forced to suspend some operations at a fuel export terminal due to a fire started by the Ukrainian uh, on what the Ukrainian media said was a drone attack. Ron DeSantis, once Trump's biggest threat, ends the 2024 White House run. DeSantis was uh, viewed as the Republicans' best shot at mo moving past Donald Trump, and it underlines the iron grip the former president retains on the party. And nearly 90 dead after fierce winter storms strike the US. 
that's uh, that's been that been recorded across the U.S. after the country was pummeled by ferocious winter storms for the past week. 178 people killed in one of Gaza's deadliest days. More than 25,000 people have been killed in Gaza since the Israeli offensive began, according to the Hamas-run health ministry. And a deadly blast hits a Russian market, uh, yeah, a market in Russia, in the Russia-held area of Ukraine, I should say. Uh, Moscow installed a official blames Ukraine for the attack, which he says killed 25 people and injured 20. There we are, that's the news there, and uh, so let's move over now, and um, we'll be hearing more from Scott Ritter, this time on the British Connection. When news breaks, winds gusting 60 and 80 knots out there, we take you there. 5,000 requests for help. Live. It's going to come up around about my waist if I continue to stand here. First, with breaking news. Open the front door and thought, oh my God. Trees that have fallen, cars that have been caught up in flooding water. Anytime. I'm just going to take you live now to Parliament House. Any Live now to outer space by NASA. Breaking news happens here. This is Sky News. Well, if you've just joined us, it's very good morning. Welcome to the uh, the world at five. Here with me, Grant Edwards, and uh, so here's Scott Ritter. He's going to be talking about the British connection. It's eleven minutes coming up. Eleven minutes to seven. <laughs> We had a meeting at the MI6 office. Unfortunately, I can't disclose all the information. It's a matter of state affairs. Autumn 2020. Ukrainian media accidentally, or maybe not, learned about Zelensky's secret meeting with Richard Moore, the head of MI6. Not just anywhere, but at the headquarters of British Intelligence Service. According to the president, the meeting was about protecting Ukraine's sovereignty. Everyone understands. The MI6 office gave the president of Ukraine a precise directive. The thing is, after the Maidan in 2014, there are quite a lot of Ukrainian opposition media. Obviously, they were preventing the creation of an image of Russia as an enemy to Western countries. It was decided to end the dissenters with Zelensky's hands. And to prevent the president from getting bored and to help him practice English, He was surrounded by British security. This was in the spring of 2022, in the midst of war in Bucha. Look at these scenes. Do you see a patch on the sleeve of one of the guys near Zelensky? The Ukrainian flag is upside down. A local would have been shot on the spot for this. But this guy is okay. Do you know why? Because he has the right to. He is a foreigner, like everyone else around Zelensky. In fact, judging by the pronunciation, they're British. As we can see, Zelensky's security team consists of Brits. Quite marvelous, because we have the so-called Ninth Administration, the President's security, with 1,800 professional military guys, special forces, and combat swimmers. Well, not surprising. Firstly, UK intelligence services most likely helped Zelensky with the theatrical staging in Bucha. Secondly, The British follow every step of their agent, even during the meeting with the Pope. Oh, this episode deserves special attention. It seemed to me like a meeting between a priest and a devil. Judge for yourselves. Zelensky went to the Vatican in a black sweatshirt with the emblem of the UNO, Ukrainian Nationalist Organization. He gave the Pope an icon with a black silhouette instead of Christ which is outright Satanism, according to church canons. He plopped into a chair before the host. For those unaware, this is a gross violation of etiquette. 
and he didn't pay much attention to Pope Francis's peaceful initiatives. Italians considered that rude. I'm sure this whole comedy was a distraction. The central communication of Zelensky took place not in the Pope's office, but in the next room, without the involvement of Pope Francis, but with the participation of the Minister of Foreign Affairs of the Holy See, Archbishop Paul Richard Gallagher, a native Brit whose cardinals are conducting powerful propaganda in Ukraine. The Ukrainian president spoke with Gallagher for almost an hour and a half. But the main detail is that the head of MI6, Richard Moore, was also present at the meeting in the Vatican. Maybe this fact explains the record-breaking motorcade of the leader of independent Ukraine over 20 cars. Okay, that was pretty good. Now, you can see that full documentary over at counterspinmedia.com. It's eight minutes to seven, and uh, here's Steve Kirsch on vaccines. Hi, it's Steve Kirsch. I'm really sorry I'm not there to be with you all uh, tonight. Uh, Shannon's book is, is just so, so important. I wish that every waiting room in America, in every pediatric practice, had a copy of that book, and it was given out to, to every new parent in America, wouldn't wouldn't that be spectacular? Because uh, she's right on in everything uh, that she says in the book, and uh, I, you know, I, I couldn't have said it better. I think maybe the only thing that uh, uh, that I noticed when I read the book was that there are some excellent books uh, by Neil Miller on Amazon, and. Uh, they, uh, all of them, go through all the vaccines and, and show just how dangerous these vaccines are. And I did a survey of my followers. I had about 10,000, uh, close to 10,000 parents filling out forms for each of the, their children. And I have a mix of uh, parents who haven't vaccinated their kids at all uh, versus parents that have vaccinated. So I'm in a very unique position because I have a very high percentage of, of followers who didn't vaccinate their kids at all. So I was in a perfect position to be able to compare the results of parents who vaccinated their kids versus parents that uh, didn't vaccinate their kids at all. And I actually asked them how many vaccines uh, each of their kids got. And I asked them what kind of uh, diseases uh, did they have, especially uh, chronic diseases. And it was astonishing to me that when I looked at the data, it's virtually a straight line. I mean, if, if I had faked this data to make it look perfect, I couldn't have done a better job. It basically showed that the rate or the probability of your getting a chronic disease is directly proportional to the number of vaccine shots your child received. The more vaccine shots, the greater the probability. Now, if vaccines didn't cause any of these chronic diseases at all, what you would see is a completely straight line. It would be completely flat because it wouldn't vary based on how many vaccines. It'd all be the this underlying probability. But the fact that there's a slope to the line and it goes up as you give more vaccines is undeniable proof that the more vaccines we give our kids, the worse the chronic diseases. And we're talking anything from food allergies to seizures to 
panda pans to autoimmune diseases to sinusitis um, uh, to epilepsy to autism to ADHD and more. I mean, I was stunned. I made a list of uh, about 25 chronic diseases and all of them were elevated in proportional to the number of vaccines a child was given. And when I saw that, I talked to Brian Hooker and Brian said he got the you know similar uh, results. Um, in, in fact, I matched my numbers. I did a computation of the odds ratio for autism and, and I came out at 4.5. I think um, there uh, Tony Mawson did a study and came out with uh, 4.0 and Brian Hooker did a study and it was 5.0. So I was right in the middle of these two. So I think I'm, I'm pretty confident in the results of these uh, uh, 10,000 parents. And there's no incentive for them to lie. They didn't know what I was, what I was serving. But the more important thing is that I know of a clinic in the United States, I, and I'm not supposed to say where it is. They've been treating kids for 20, over 25 years now. They've treated thousands and thousands and thousands of kids, and none of them have any chronic diseases. There's no autism, there's no ADHD, there's no nothing. And so um, there is a there is now a, a paper that's going to be written about this clinic compared to other clinics. And of course, that's gonna be even more evidence uh, that what we're doing to our kids is unimaginable. And it's interesting that we don't seem to want to acknowledge that uh, in this country at all. Um, you know, Brian Hooker was successful in video, in uh, video, in audio taping um, uh, William Thompson, and that was the movie uh, Vax, which uh, which basically said that Thompson was ordered by his CDC superiors to destroy all data that linked vaccines and autism, and this is done. 23 years ago, and they never allowed that to come out. Congress, they, they, uh, Bill Posey and Congress tried to get a hearing to do that, um, to have William Thompson testify, and he wasn't allowed to do that. They tried to get a, a bill passed in Congress to compare the fully unvaccinated with the fully vaccinated for health outcomes and order the NIH to do that. They had nine co-sponsors of that bill, and it never got out of committee in the House of Representatives. So they don't want anyone to know that kids who are fully unvaccinated are way healthier than the kids who are fully vaccinated. And, you know, if I had known this as a parent, things have been a lot different uh, for my kids. And I'm, I'm 66 years old, I'm just finding out about this now. And I wish that um, I, I had found, found out about it sooner. And I think this book will help to, uh, to spread the word um, among other things. And I really, really wanna thank um, uh, Shannon uh, for, uh, for creating the book and uh, I'm putting together this, this event and for her efforts because it's all working together uh, as a team to help get the word out that the medical community has been lying to us for decades about vaccines. And I think now is, is our time. 
it's time to get the word out about these vaccines and how unsafe they are. And Shannon's book is an excellent way to do that. So thank you, uh, Shannon. And uh, thank you all for coming tonight. 88.1 FM, the wireless international news. Hour. Go to episodes at tntradio.live. Now, TNT Radio News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. Two motorists were killed, tens of thousands of people were left without electricity, and hundreds of trains were canceled Monday after the latest winter storm lashed Britain and Ireland with heavy rain and wind gusts that topped 100 miles per hour. The storm littered roads and railways with downed trees that created deadly hazards and blocked travel, disrupting morning commutes. On Sunday night, an 84-year-old male passenger in a car in Scotland and a van driver in his 60s in Northern Ireland were killed when their vehicles struck toppled trees. The UK's Met Office Weather Service had issued an unusual wind warning for the whole country before Storm Isha, which peaked overnight after exceeding forecasts for 90-mile-per-hour gusts. France continued their protests on Monday by blocking roads with tractors and trucks, a movement that began last week, according to local media reports. They obstructed highway exits in southwestern France and shut down roads to the Gulfec nuclear plant north of Toulouse, though the plant continued its electricity production. The farmers are protesting against high taxes on tractor fuel, the influx of cheap imports, price pressures from retailers, a lack of water, and extensive bureaucracy at national and EU levels. These protests in France are part of a broader wave of demonstrations by farmers across Europe, including Germany, the Netherlands, Poland, and Romania. German farmers have been particularly vocal, protesting against both EU regulations and a decision by the German government to reduce diesel subsidies by 480 billion euros, coinciding with the announcement of doubling support for Ukraine to 8 billion euros in 2024. German farmers have been blocking roads in Berlin and other areas since December, leading to a decision by the government to implement subsidy cuts gradually. EU foreign policy chief Josep Borrell says that the Israeli military actions in Gaza could deepen resentment among Palestinians for many years. He advocates for Israel to de-escalate its military operations and pursue a peaceful two-state solution. Borrell, speaking before an EU Foreign Affairs Council meeting, expressed his intention to discuss with Israel's delegation a holistic approach to peace, encompassing both immediate conflict resolution and long-term issues related to Palestinian statehood. Which are the other solutions they have in mind? To make all the Palestinians live? To kill of them? 25,000 already in Gaza. 70% of women and children. Certainly, the way of trying to destroy Hamas 
is not the way they are doing, because they are seeding the hate for generations. At a rally Monday night in New Hampshire, former President Donald Trump promised the four greatest years in the history of our country if he returns to the White House. See it at the polls. The, uh, the people are, it's amazing. I appreciate it so much because normally what you do is you just put your head down. I guess you have to get the hell out. And every week we go up and up and up. And somebody said, don't indict him anymore. Please, you're killing us. You're going to indict him right into the White House. We don't want to have that. Northern Escape Heliskiing, a heliskiing company based in Terrace, British Columbia, reported that three people died following a helicopter crash in West Central British Columbia. The company confirmed the fatalities in a press release but did not disclose the total number of individuals involved in the crash near the city. BC Emergency Health Services was alerted to the crash on the afternoon of January 22nd. In response, three air ambulances and five ground ambulances were dispatched to the scene. Four patients were treated by paramedics and then transported to Mills Memorial Hospital in Terrace in critical condition. Sub-Lieutenant Wilson Ho a spokesperson for the Joint Rescue Coordination Center in Victoria stated that a CH-149 Cormorant helicopter was deployed to aid in the response. The news break at the top of the next hour. This has been James O'Neill for TNT. Thank you, James. The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at TNTradio.live. FM, the wireless weather. Right, let's see. It's getting a bit cooler in the South Island now, isn't it? Boy, oh boy, it sure is. It's uh, five minutes past seven, and we're in the home straight. Let's look at the short forecast for all of New Zealand. Valid until midnight tonight for Northland, Auckland, Waikato, Coromandel, the Bay of Plenty. Partly cloudy weather for you today. For Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, fine apart from areas of morning and evening cloud uh, in the Gisborne area. And Waitomo to Manawatu, including the central high country, mostly fine today. Horowinua to Wellington, also Wairarapa, Marlborough, Nelson. Fine weather apart from isolated morning showers in Wellington and southern Wairarapa. For Buller, Westland and Fiordland, mainly fine for southern Westland and northern Fiordland. Elsewhere, isolated showers clearing this afternoon. For Canterbury and Otago, mostly cloudy, isolated showers developing over inland Canterbury later in the afternoon. And for Southland, showers becoming isolated this afternoon and fine spells increasing. The Chatham Islands, you can expect low cloud and drizzle, and that'll be clearing later on this morning. Okay, let's, uh, oh, before we go, let, why don't we, um, well, hang on, better stop that there, let that go. Um, yes, why don't we go over to um, the, have a look at the temperatures across the main centres. The extremes, first of all, Kaitaia is the warmest at the moment, it's only 18 degrees. Omarama has 1.8 degrees, and of course we know that that gets down to minus 9. I think in the winter last year it was uh, minus 9.7 at one stage there. Auckland in uh, Manukau, they have the windiest the wind at the moment. It's not that windy though, it's about 10 knots, 26 kilometres per hour. And Westport, it's uh, just a wee bit of rain there, 2.4 millimetres. Temperatures across the main centre, Stewart Island 7 degrees, Invercargill 6, Dunedin's on 8, Timaru 6. Chatham Islands, it's, um, they are uh, really <laughs> quite extraordinary over there. The Chathams, they have 18 degrees. Meanwhile, in Queenstown, it's 3 degrees, France Joseph 6, Westport's got 11, Nelson's on 10, and Blenheim has 7 degrees this morning. Christchurch is 19, uh, 9 degrees. Wellington, 12 degrees, Masterton also on 12, Napier has uh, 13 degrees, Palmerston North 14, New Plymouth has uh, 12 degrees, Taupo and Rotorua on 14 and 12 degrees, Gisborne 17, Tauranga 16. 
Hamilton's on 14, 18 and 17 uh, for Auckland and Whangarei, and Kaitai has 18 degrees. Okie dokie, it's uh, 8 minutes past 7, and I uh, hope your morning's going well. This is uh, Mickey Willis, and uh, he's now talking about the, uh, the beacon of freedom for the Chinese uh, that is uh, very interesting. This is from The Great Awakening, and you can find that full documentary over at Counterspin Media. You can find them at counterspinmedia.com. The defectors here that are speaking out against the Communist Party in China are risking their lives, and uh, our government is not interested in listening to them or helping them in any way. been in America for 10 years, I saw a lot of Americans with a wonderful heart. America is a beacon of freedom. I'm happy living in this land to practice my religion and to have a peaceful life. That's my hope. America's last stand on earth for freedom. If we lose this country, the world will be a very dark place. I have three children in this country. I want to protect their American dream. So here I am, you know. I've noticed that every time you speak about America, your eyes fill with tears. I do, I do love this country. No place to go. And I just hope people can hear my stories. For past five years, I've been telling the same thing. I have no political agenda here. I just want to live American dream. I my children live American dream. Sorry about that. It's time to ask questions. It's time to wake up. We've been brought together in this moment to face the urgent choice between dehumanization and rehumanization. Dehumanization requires us to do nothing nothing other than to allow that process to continue to the point of no return. Rehumanization, on the other hand, requires action. One action. To remember. To remember what we knew as children. When everything was possible. Before our attention was captured. Before the conditioning set in. Before our nature was denied. There's nothing new we have to learn. All we have to do is to remember. And then take the hand of that memory and go out and stand on ground. Not concrete, not asphalt. Stand on ground. And see if you can feel the heartbeat of a universe that conspired 
to give you life so that you once again can feel the joy of being completely human. And then never forget that moment. It's a wonderful documentary. You can see that at counterfeitmedia.com. Well, I've been a bit remiss on the country music this morning. So how about a new song from Miranda Lambert? It's The House That Built Me. Beautiful song. I think you'll enjoy this. Nothing but a memory 
That's a nice song, isn't it? Miranda Lambert there with the house that built me. You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, the wireless, the world at five. Okay, we are over at the RNZ, you buy the bit rnz.co.nz, and piped gas network could face death spiral when prices rise. Now, it comes as two reports suggest that gas prices will rise significantly in the next decade. We'll just have a quick look at that, put together by Elise Gibbons. She's the climate change correspondent. Uh, yes, and uh, it says here, the report for the government says connections to piped gas network could enter a death spiral during the final years of moving away from what they call fossil fuels. It's one of two recent reports suggesting gas prices will rise significantly in the next decade and beyond. Almost 300,000 homes use gas from so-called fossil fuels. That's uh, for heating and hot water and cooktops, that sort of thing. Uh, only some regions receive uh, gas by pipes, while others rely on gas bottles. Two different reports, completed in the second half of last year, looked at the uh, outlook for gas while the government and gas industry work together on a plan to manage the transition. They want to move away from fossil fuels, which is absolutely nuts. A December report by Ernest Young's Angela Ogier, she looked at four possible futures, or well, she didn't, but they did. Oh, yeah, she did. Ernest and Young did anyway. I think she did. Possible uh, futures for the estimated prices could go up 20 to 40% by 2035 due to rising production costs and carbon prices. Now, that's the carbon taxes they're going to slap on you. Let's hope this government uh, says what they're going to do and they're just going to keep on going. Over in the States, if, when Trump gets in, it's going to be Dig, and I think Ramaswamy, he said the same, Vivek Ramaswamy. You're just going to dig and, you know, drill <laughs> and just keep on going because it's the best It's the best form of heating, the best form of energy. But here in New Zealand, we're half nutty. A June report, or fully nutty probably, by energy uh, an, an, an analyst uh, Simon Coates of Concept Consulting. Uh, that's for the Ministry of uh, Business and Innovation and Employment. They modelled the impacts of rising prices and warned that the possible death spiral during the last uh, five to ten years of customers leaving piped gas networks. Uh, The concept report was not uh, included in the proactive release documents about the gas transition published by the Ministry. However, it was referenced on one of those documents and later released under the Official Information Act. Coates said the electric space and warm heating uh, yes, and water heating rather, electric space and water heating was already cheaper than gas for new homes, even though uh, take, taking into account rising prices for carbon emissions, so that's basically tax. Heat pumps, or how else are they going to fund the uh, United Nations if they don't get some more tax from us? They've got to do it some way, don't they? Anyway, so that's what they're planning, which is uh, nutty, if you ask me. Absolute nutty. Uh, why people are avoiding Christchurch Hospital's new car park. Staff and patients at Christchurch Hospital are avoiding a brand new public car park because they cannot afford the fees or find, and they find it uh, inaccessible. And also there's been those fires uh, that ravaged the homes. Residents, they describe the horror. A North Canterbury resident says that they have been warned to stay on alert for flare-ups for the next few weeks. 
after the fire destroyed nearby homes. And uh, there seems to be a few cicadas uh, this summer, doesn't there? The lack of cicadas in some parts of the country is nothing to worry about. It's just a sort of a cycle thing, according to Root Kleinbast. And uh, what else have we got here on the uh, front page there? Uh, Fruiting trees pose a poisoning risk for dogs. The karaka tree, which fruit between January and April, uh, feasted upon by the kiruru, which is, I think is the uh, tui, isn't it? Yeah. But they are toxic to dogs. A $1 million PR lobby campaign to overturn livestock export campaign. The ban, rather. You're going to overturn it. Good. And New Zealand Defence Force, their mission in the Red Sea has shades of Iraq, according to Labour. But we've sent off six, probably SAS boys. Not sure. Six people are heading over there to help fight the Houthis so that we can keep our our shipping links free of terrorism. And in the Oscars 2024, Barbie's Greta Gerig and Margot Robbie, they miss key nominations. And possible, oh, we had that. Uh, nurse says, oh, yeah, we've got that too. And uh, Kari Dieback, some Waitakere tracks may never reopen. You see, this is all part of just stopping you from getting around the country, just, stopping, just taking away the enjoyment of being a Kiwi, living in wonderful New Zealand. A popular Waitakere walking track has reopened, but it's unclear... Um, it's unclear it's a uh, majority of the tracks in the range will never reopen according to a report there and Halton Bay residents they spend they may spend night without water residents in the Wellington suburb of Halton Bay could be without water into the early hours of the morning following a burst pipe there and incident at the food plant and research facility. The facility was evacuated after a chemical odour triggered a fire alarm. Temperature drops, as you know, and a light dusting of uh, unseasonable snow falling as well. The South Island and Central North Island are set to have a reprieve from the hot and muggy nights. And uh, it's lovely, really, isn't it? And a bit of snow in Fjordland as well. Okay, that is it for news as far as um, RNZ is concerned for the New Zealand news, world news. And it doesn't look to be much more interesting than it was an hour ago. We've got the uh, Israeli military say 24 soldiers were killed in fighting. It's actually 21 killed in fighting overnight. Uh, 24 soldiers were killed during intense fighting in the Gaza in the past 24 hours, marking the highest de- highest one-day death toll that the Israeli Defence Force have suffered. And uh, Nikki Haley, uh, can she stop Donald Trump in the New Hampshire? Uh, voters in New Hampshire will decide whether Donald Trump will be having a whether she'll be handing him a glide path to the Republican presidential nomination or bolster rival Nikki Haley along a long shot. I don't think so. I don't think she's got a former chance, a chance at all. A former Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, he quits politics altogether. That ends a 16-year career in the federal parliament, including four as Prime Minister. And there's a fake Joe Biden. It tells voters to skip the primaries. The fake robocall claiming to be the US President Joe Biden has urged voters to skip Tuesday's primary election in New Hampshire. A powerful quake, a 7.1, uh, whatever you call it, magnitude quake. It strikes uh, on the Chinese border with... Kyrgyzstan, I think it's, I guess I think that's how you say it. Uh, several injuries and collapsed houses were reported by Chinese media. Seven people found shot to death in uh, two locations in Chicago. 
In the US, seven people were found shot dead inside two homes in Chicago. A man who knew the victims was being sought by investigators as a suspect. US and UK launch fresh strikes on Houthis in Yemen. The second joint operation between the US and UK targets underground storage missiles. And Israel forced storm, they forces rather storm a hospital as the fight escalates. Palestinians say bloody fighting in Kun Yunus. Khan Yunus has cut the wounded off from trauma care. U.S. Navy SEALs presumed dead after an anti-Houthi mission. The two U.S. Navy SEALs went missing during an operation to seize Iranian-made weapons bound for Houthis in Yemen, and they're presumed dead. In Australia, the Golden Visa scheme for the wealthy investors has been axed. Uh, that granted uh, wealthy overseas uh, visitors and investors there the right to live in the country. And in India, the Prime Minister reopens the Grand Temple on raised mosque site. India's Prime Minister, Narendra no- uh, Modi, 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 I suppose it would be. Yes, he has uh, taken part in the rituals to open the Grand Temple to the Hindu god Ram. U.S. authorities say Boeing 737 planes should get checked after the MAX 9 incident. The U.S. Federal Aviation Administration said on uh, Sunday, which is Monday our time, recommended airlines operating the Boeing 737-900ER jets inspect door plugs to ensure that they are properly secured after some operators reported unspecified, what is it, unspecified, something I have to click on it, issues with the bolts, Upon inspection, the recommendation follows the FAA's grounding of 171 Boeing 737 MAX 9 planes after the mid-air cabin blowout of a door plug on an eight-week-old Alaska Airlines MAX 9 jet on January the 5th. The 737-900ER are not part of the new MAX fleet, but the same door plug uh, has been used uh, for the addition of an extra emergency door when the carriers opt to install more seats. There we are. Okay, well, let's see. Oh, we've got that landslide too in southwest China. It buries at least 47 people. Rescue efforts are underway in the sub-zero temperatures at the southwestern province of Yunnan. Dozens of people have been killed in an attempt to rescue a son from a Mexican cartel hitman. Another seven people escaped, and some are probably wounded, according to officials. And, of course, we know that the Duchess of York has been diagnosed with skin cancer. The Duchess of York has been diagnosed with a malignant melanoma following the removal of a cancerous mole during treatment of her breast cancer. Russia uh, suspends operations on fuel export terminal after a suspected Ukrainian drone attack. The Russian energy company Novatek said it had been forced to suspend some operations at a fuel export terminal due to a fire started by what Ukraine media said was a drone attack. Ron DeSantis, once Trump's biggest threat, ends the 2024 White House run. DeSantis was once viewed as the Republicans' best shot at the moving past Donald Trump, and it underlines the iron grip that the former US President Donald Trump retains on the party. Nearly 90 people dead after a fierce winter storm strike US, Nearly 90 people, uh, related, 90 weather-related deaths have been recorded across the United States after the country was pummeled by fury, uh, ferocious w- uh, winter storms for the past week. 178 people in Gaza, killed in Gaza, in the deadliest days. Uh, I think that might be old news now, so we might move away from that. OK, we're up to 28 minutes past. At half past seven, we'll bring you the uh, latest Radio New Zealand news bulletin. 
and uh, we'll see how that goes. In fact, I might even have it here. Yes, I do. Here we are. So we'll go to that. We'll go to that now, shall we? Yeah, let's do that. Twenty-eight past seven. RNZ News at seven o'clock. Atamaria. Good morning. I'm Karen McCarthy. Politicians are set to converge today on Ratana Pa near Honganui for the political year's unofficial curtain raiser. The Prime Minister says matters discussed at the weekend's huge hui in Naroa Wahia are unlikely to change or influence his kōrero. Our political reporter Giles Dexter has more. Christopher Luxon says his message will be explaining how the government wants to partner with Māori to improve outcomes in health, education and housing. He acknowledges there will be differences of opinion and is expecting to be challenged, but says Ratana is exactly the setting for it. In addition to the Prime Minister, the leaders of New Zealand First, Labour, the Greens and Te Pāti Māori will all attend and have been invited to speak. But, as with the hui at the weekend, ACT is giving the day a miss. International relations analysts are warning New Zealand's Middle East deployment could be interpreted as backing Israel in the Gaza conflict. Six New Zealand soldiers are being deployed to support precision attacks in response to Houthi strikes on ships in the Red Sea. The Houthis say they are acting in solidarity with the Palestinians. Our political reporter Annika Smith has more. The government is pitching the deployment as part of a commitment to maritime security and rules-based order. But two commentators have told RNZ that's wishful thinking and New Zealand's international reputation could be on the line. Security analyst Paul Buchanan says the move may be interpreted as New Zealand shifting its military weight behind the United States, which backs Israel. And Otago University international relations professor Robert Patman says Aotearoa is in a precarious position in both supporting a call for a ceasefire and backing the country, the United States, that blocked it. The Greens co-leader says New Zealand's involvement in supporting military action in the Red Sea is horrifying. Marma Davidson told Morning Report New Zealand is abandoning its long-standing history of a peacekeeping role in Middle Eastern conflict. Inflation numbers due out this morning are expected to show price rises at their lowest level in more than two years. Economists expect a rise of 0.5% for the three months ended December, bringing the annual rate down to 4.7% from 5.6%. It's anticipated that lower-cost fuel, food and airfares are driving the slowdown, but high domestic prices for such things as rents, rates and energy prices are limiting it. Westpac's senior economist Satish Ranchod says the Reserve Bank remains concerned about stubborn core local inflation. He says that That'll mean interest rates being held high for some time until inflation is back in the bank's target zone. A million-dollar lobbying campaign has been launched to persuade the government to restart live animal exports. The coalition has pledged to reverse a ban brought in by Labour last year. But the lobby group Livestock Export New Zealand believes that without a major pressure campaign, that pledge could stall or even fail. Kion Espiner has the story. Live Export New Zealand strategy documents reveal plans to spend $366,000 on a trust and understanding campaign, $100,000 on media training, $200,000 to create a gold standard for animal welfare and $160,000 on political lobbying and legal fees. Both Save Animals from Exploitation, or SAFE, and the SPCA say live exports by sea can't be done without compromising animal welfare but Livestock Export New Zealand is adamant they can. 
In the US, voting is taking place in the New Hampshire Republican primary election. Nikki Haley is hoping the more traditionally moderate state will give her a result which allows her to continue in the presidential race. But opinion polls indicate Donald Trump has built up a clear lead. These New Hampshire voters explained their choices. I think New Hampshire is going to surprise everybody and that Nikki is going to be the candidate. Uh, At least that's what I'm hoping, but I have a really good feeling. Um, She's a fighter and she's not giving up. What's our other option? Donald Trump. Under his presidency, he did a lot of great things for the country. I think we're in very good shape. Nikki Haley won all six votes in the state's first voting district in tiny Dixville Notch at midnight local time, though the result is not indicative of wider voting. Fifty years after Christchurch hosted the Commonwealth Games, the mayor is aiming to get the sporting event back to the city in 2030. Councillors this morning will consider Mayor Phil Major's recommendation that the council and its promotion agency, Christchurch NZ, look at the viability of making a bid to host the Games. Mr Major believes it is feasible. After the earthquake... We've got so many fantastic facilities in Christchurch with the convention centre, the new stadium, we're up and running, the metro sports will be going, we've got Naipuna Wild. But I don't want to be greedy and have Christchurch have everything. We can send the cycling off down to Invercargill, they've got the velodrome down there, we could send the rowing to Twizel. The New Zealand Olympic Committee last year said Aotearoa was not interested in bidding to host the Games in 2030, but was looking towards a bid for 2034. Mitre 10 says it's changing the culturally insensitive names of some bathroom products, including toilet accessories. The home improvement chain's legacy brand has used today or Māori names for items such as toilet roll holders, rope hooks and towel rails. The company says they reference lakes and rivers, but it now acknowledges the names are culturally sensitive. It says it decided mid-last year that the names needed to be changed out of respect for te reo and te ao Māori. Mitre 10 did not clarify how it became aware of the problem, but one worker told RNZ the legacy brand has used Māori names for more than five years. That's the news. That is RNZ News. It's getting ridiculous, isn't it? Changing the names. <laughs> I don't know what's happening to our country. We are going nutty. And it's happening all over the world. They're using the, the communists, actually. The, the globalists, because communism, fashion, doesn't really matter, does it? The globalists, they're, they're getting in there. They're using indigenous people, so-called indigenous people of every country in the world, to just destabilise the West. That's what it's all about. We'll have a look at more news. This time we'll go to News Hub in just a moment. The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at TNTradio.live. Here's a question. Why is everyone fat and stupid? What? There's something wrong with the way we're eating. And the what's wrong is that we're eating way too many carbohydrates. After I stopped eating carbohydrates for a month, the carbohydrate cravings went away. My appetite declined by about 75%, and that's been permanent. I eat way less, and now I'm not as hungry. Yeah, well, what, what do we say? And what are they saying now? People are out there buying rice and all these carbohydrates. They're living on those. They're just going to get sick. And what did he say? Dumb and fat. There we are. Greens, they label the New Zealand sending troops to uh, the Middle East as deeply disturbing. Labour says it's shades of Iraq. Well, I don't know. I don't think so. Let's uh, let's check out that story, shall we? Okay, this is by Kate uh, Scoucher and Anik Smith from Radio New Zealand. The Labour Party is condemning 
condemning the coalition government's deployment of Defence Force troops to the Middle East, saying it has shades of Iraq. Following requests from the US, New Zealand is sending six personnel to the region to support the future military action against the Houthi targets. Iran-backed Houthi rebels have been attacking ships in the Red Sea, which they say is linked to Israel. Uh, since the start of the Gaza conflict. In response, UK and US forces, they have been carrying out uh, strikes at different locations in Yemen with support from Australia, Bahrain, uh, Bahrain and Canada, also the Netherlands as well. According to a joint statement that was signed by the six countries, the Prime Minister, Christopher Hipkins, he has described the Houthi strikes as illegal, unacceptable and profoundly destabilising. He said the deployment is part of an international coalition, uh, is a continuation of New Zealand's long history of defending freedom for, of navigation both in the Middle East and closer to home. He said nearly 15% of international trade goes through the Red Sea and the Houthis' attacks are driving costs higher for New Zealanders and causing delays in shipments. Labour Foreign Spokesperson, Foreign Affairs Spokesperson David Parker, he made it clear that his party is opposed to the deployment. He said, we don't think that we should be coming broad in that conflict. Doesn't worry about our trade though, does he? No, because they don't want that. <laughs> oh boy, I'm so pleased they're out. Um, which is part of the long-term civil war in Yemen. And we think New Zealand should stay out of this. There is no United Nations resolution in favour of it, he said. We don't think that we should get involved in a conflict in the Middle East. The Houthis, who control most of Yemen's population area, uh, populated area, they've been fighting a civil war since 2014 against Yemen's government which had the backing of the coalition of Arab countries. By the start of 2022, the war had caused an estimated 377,000 deaths and displaced 4 million people, according to the United Nations. New Zealand's two major political parties have long taken a bipartisan approach to foreign affairs, and Labour was briefed on the, de the uh, deployment by the Office of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, which is Winston Peters is the Minister of, before it was announced publicly. We let them know that this had shades of Iraq, according to Labour's Parker, he told Radio New Zealand. In the early 2000s, Prime Minister Helen Clark, she resisted pressure from the US to join the invasion of Iraq. Oh, but if you read Greg Hallett's book, you'll find out why in the end she did. She did. <laughs> oh boy, that's a shocker. You've got to get hold of that. Write to um, Counterspin Media. Ask Calvin to send you a copy. Send him just a small donation of 100, maybe 250, 500, or even 1,000. Or if you've got a spare 10 grand, just shoot it off to Counterspin Media. They could do with it, and they'll put it to very good use. And Calvin might just might give you a copy of New Zealand, a hitchhiker, uh, not a hitchhiker, New Zealand, a blackmailer's guide. And in there, Greg Hallett says that Helen Clark was involved. Uh, she, was, um, she was actually, this is what he says in his book, apparently, Helen Clark former Prime Minister of New Zealand, was a, a KGB prostitute. <laughs> KGB agent. I think he's a prostitute as well. And apparently her and her girlfriend were invited over to stay with George W. Bush at this house, which was fully bugged and had all the cameras and everything. And apparently there was also a Russian, a Russian bird as well that was in there. And they must have, was she Russian? I think so. Somebody, no. Oh, anyway, there was another bird. There was a bit of a, you know, like a threesome. What have got? Menage a trois happening there. And George Bush invited her for a morning tea the next morning and showed her the photographs. And then she said, oh, okay, all right. So um, then she did actually send in, and New Zealand did support 
in Iraq. But up until then, apparently, according to Greg Hallett in the um, New Zealand a, a, um, Blackmailer's Guide, uh, it was a bit of a blackmail thing that went on there. So, there we go. Anyway, but getting back to this story, the coalition government's decision to deploy troops in the Middle East was a break from, re- from recent traditions, according to David Parker. New Zealand, despite its pressure from the United States, Australia and Great Britain at time, at the time, uh, they stayed out of the conflict. They didn't. They didn't because Helen Clark, according to Greg Hallett, this is not me, this is Greg Hallett, uh, get that book. I tell you what, it's a shocker, absolute shocker. So anyway, so there we are. So they, they did send them in the end, but they got uh, blackmailed by um, George W. Bush. Apparently George W. Bush turned over a bit of a new leaf. Apparently he's a Christian now. That's interesting, isn't it? I don't know how true that is, but that's what they say. Okay, we'll move back to RNZ and look at some of the other stories. News Hub, rather. It was a News Hub story. And we'll move to housing now. This is a new story come out, written by Molly Swift. And uh, Molly, she says that uh, New Zealand rental prices have reached an all-time high. And we have a new region taking uh, home the top spot for the country's most expensive place to rent, according to the Trade Me's latest rental price index. The latest data reveals the nation, the national median uh, weekly rental in New Zealand has jumped to $625 in December. So that's $625 a week, uh, the first increase in almost six months. For the Bay of Plenty, rent prices have soared in some regions, all the way up to the top, overtaking Auckland as the most expensive region to rent. A rent in the Bay of Plenty went up by 11.7% compared to last year, reaching a high of $670 a week in December, while Auckland's median rent price was only $660. The Western Bay of Plenty surged to 14.2% and Tauranga went up by 7.7%, pushing the overall rental figures up for the region. Although we've witnessed a recent dip in rent prices in Auckland, it typically remains one of the pricier places to live. That's because they've got some real cheapy, grotty places, and then they've got the expensive ones, but there'll be fewer of them and more of the grotty ones, often rivaling Wellington. Wellington, I thought, was quite reasonable last year, uh, according to Trade Me Property Sales Director Gavin Lloyd. Normally, the highest costs are in regions with major cities, but this demonstrates that other areas have plenty to offer renters. Marlborough stood out as the sole region experiencing year-on-year decrease in rental prices nationwide. It's lovely down there. Uh, with a decline of 0.9%, taking the median weekly rent to $530. Meanwhile, Southland retains its status as the most affordable place to rent in New Zealand, with a median price of $440 a week, uh, marking a slight 2.3% increase from the previous month. Wellington's median rent was uh, $650 a week, while Canterbury was $570. That's quite interesting. Lloyd said that 2023 was the first time that December had recorded a month-on-month increase, seeing rent prices go up in the last year, uh, last month of the year, is not something that we typically do see, especially since the official cash rate stayed the same uh, year, the same in late 2023, he said. Compared to the previous December, tenants are now paying an extra $45 a week. Kiwis are still grappling with the higher living costs, and they're now starting to see the flow through to rental prices, according to Lloyd. Went on to say many people will be watching the new government in 2024 as recent legislation has reshaped the Reserve Bank's focus uh, to a singular mandate 
to bring down inflation. Demand for rental properties has uh, slowed to the main regions ahead of the holiday season. Nationwide demand for rental properties in December was down 19% compared to November, while listings were also down 17%. But Trade Me found this trend was clear across many regions, including major hubs where Auckland, they were down 20%, Canterbury down 19%, Wellington uh, down 8%, all saw a decline in demand. Gisborne and Marlborough were the only two places that experienced an increase in demand. There we are. That is on the housing and uh, foreign affairs. No, now, um, Novak, what's he going to do? Sabalenka. Novak Djokovic, no, Novaks we call him, and Sabalenka, the advance of the Australian Open semi-finals. Okay, I, I quite like I used to be good at tennis. For a bit, uh, not, uh, not really. It's quite a hard game to play, isn't it? Tennis. Novak Djokovic and Coco Gaff were both made to um, toil for the semi-final places in the blazing choose, uh, on a blazing Tuesday in the Australian Open, but organisers were spared a ridiculous late finish as a, oh gosh, Irina Sabalinka and Senek Sinner, or maybe Sinner, I think he's a Sinner, we're all Sinners, uh, roared through the night session. Two epic battles in the afternoon meant defending women's champion Sabalinka did not walk onto Rod Lava Arena, or Rod Laver, I think it is, Rod Laver Arena, until well after 9pm, but the Belarusian made light of the Czech Barbarora, oh gosh, here we go, Barbarora Krevsevkova. <laughs> I'm really, I'd have to practice this if I was going to do this for a living. Uh, anyway, won the match 6-2, 6-3, to ease pressure on the schedule. And uh, there we are, we'll leave it there. <laughs> I can see lots of difficult names ahead for me. Uh, in the United States, who had him killed? Jeffrey Epstein's brother claims he didn't commit suicide. No, I don't think he did either. Jeffrey Epstein's brother has come forward saying that he does not believe that his brother committed suicide in jail. The night before Epstein flew back to New York in July 2019, he called his younger brother Mark, and the pair went, they, they went close, but Mark... What, the pair went close, but Mark Epstein says his brother had no inkling that he was going to be arrested as he stepped off the jet in uh, Teterboro in New Jersey. Teterboro. Uh, barely a month later, Epstein was found dead in a Manhattan jail cell. His death came despite being under psychological observation at the time after a previous suicide attempt. Oh, so he's done it before. This only added to the mystery around Epstein's case. Powerful figures who, uh, uh, powerful figures who befriended, uh, who he befriended across the world. The drama of his story has also continued on through the trial and conviction of his uh, confidant, uh, that's uh, Ghislaine Maxwell. And but for Mark Epstein, the biggest mystery is the circumstances of his brother's death. He was outwardly he stated that he does not except that the Justice Department report that found jail officials guilty of negligence and misconduct and said that it found no evidence that his death was anything but a suicide. He said, I would like a full investigation into his death. If you look at all the evidence, including the autopsy, the photographs of his body, and the bullshit DOJ, the Department of Justice report, that is uh, filled with inaccuracies, you will never come up with the conclusion that his was a suicide. But based on what, he said, Epstein was not on suicide watch, 
and was alone in his cell. Two correctional officers responded, uh, rather responsible for guarding Epstein that day, were later charged with falsifying prison records. The charges were dropped soon after Maxwell was convicted in 2021. Epstein says he thinks, this is Mark, he thinks that another prisoner could have gotten into his cell and killed him. And he's been told not all the cell doors were locked that night. But cellmates who had a view of Epstein's door say no one came in or out. A camera pointed to Epstein's door was not recording that night. Now, I think I find that suspicious. Mark Epstein, he says it's obvious foul play was involved, with The Guardian reporting him stating the question is who killed him? That's what he wants to know. Epstein's case is now slowly dying down following Maxwell's recent um, court case. And Mark come the claim, Mark's claims, he is not uh, attempting to draw attention to the story, but he says his only concern about the circumstances, he's, he's, yes, he says he's only concerned about his, the circumstances of his brother's death. There we are. Okay, we are up to 12 minutes to uh, 8, 12 to 8. And subcultural, tr- uh, subcultural truants, apparently, according to Shane Jones, who is the ministry's uh, fisheries minister, Shane Jones, he labels the uh, tribal leaders in the far north as subcultural truants for threatening an annual fishing competition. The fisheries minister has described members of the North Island tribe, Nati Kahu, as subcultural truants after they threatened to stop an annual fishing competition. It comes in response to the Doubtless Bay Fishing Classic coming under threat on Tuesday by tribal members who say they intend to blockade boat ramps they say are on their territory. In a social media post shared by members of the tribe to Facebook community pages, they said the action was meant to send a message to the participants of the competition and also to the government for its plans to abolish the Treaty of Waitangi. Shane Jones says the notion that this is related to the government's manifesto is absolute crap. This is the activity of a small, delusional, irrelevant group, according to Shane. He describes the group as outlaws who are trying to ruin the fishing competition that's been running for decades. He said, I'm offended by their behaviour. This fishing competition actually raises money, and that money goes to local community charities. And the minister has a message for those keen to participate in the event. He says to them all, he said, all the members just wanting to enjoy their fishing competition, get on with it, enjoy yourselves. Jones said the boat ramp in Doubtless Bay, an access way to the beautiful marine environment. It's a public asset, largely funded by the community, not by a tiny group of angry birds. He said most Maori are embarrassed by their antics. Nati Kahu representative... Wakatana Popata, uh, po, uh, uh, might have said that wrong before, <laughs> uh, spoke with News Hub earlier t- uh, yesterday and uh, they said organisers of the event have never bothered to consult them over the contest, uh, that they are depleting the fishing stocks, our fishing stocks. He said, our plan, it's all about them, isn't it? Them and us, they're dividing us, which is a, which is a Marxist trick. And that's why I think they've been incited by the Marxist. Um, our plan is to block all access points to our Moana, which what's that fishing area? Is it Moana food? Is it? I don't know. Um, this is Popata. He told News Hub four years now these community members have disrespected our Nati Kahu. They have never bothered to include us. Never bothered to consult Nati Kahu in any way. Runanga chairperson Margaret Mutu. She told News Hub Ropata he doesn't speak for the whole of the tribe. This is a matter for the Nati Kahu. Uh, is aware 
of, but they are yet to have uh, discussions, especially with the organisers of the competition, Mutu said. Event organiser Nick Ryan, he describes it as a no-win situation for him. Uh, he just wants to, people to exercise their right to fish. They've got 3,000 tourists are beginning to descend on the area across the country. He said it's too late to cancel it now. He said we are somewhat stunned that the people that have made these sorts of outlandish, in my view, statements in the past 24 hours have taken so long to come up with this. Uh, this has put us in a no-win situation, he told News Hub. He said, I'm sitting here trying to organise a charitable event and now I'm getting into a treaty war. Ryan said the community is behind the competition, but Ropata, he says that was he has plenty of supporters. He said, I can muster 100 people in my own family. Uh, so he said family. I thought he would have said far now. Uh, so we'll see what happens, says Ropata. That's what he told News Hub. He said the blockade will begin on Friday morning no matter what. There we are. Northland Iwi at, at war with us. There's going to be trouble. <laughs> I'll tell you what. You don't get in the way of a man fishing. Now, health. The drink that could be causing your weight gain. Wine. <laughs> Chardonnay. <laughs> this is... Uh, Sandy Lamotte, she's from CNN. She says, drinking a glass of more than 100% fruit juice each day was linked to a small increase in weight in children and adults, according to a new analysis of prior studies. One fundamental problem with juice is, quant is uh, quantity, and consuming fruit this way makes it so easy to overdose. Yeah, I think so. I actually think the fruit... And the Garden of Eden was just there to just have a little nibble on, if you want to. But you certainly couldn't live on it. I don't think Adam and Eve were in the garden for more than, a, I don't know, a few hours. <laughs> Not long. Probably a week or so. Wouldn't take long before she went, oh, what's that tree there? Oh, and a little taste of that. Just wanted to see that. The one we're not allowed to touch. Well, we didn't say not allowed to touch it. He said not allowed to eat from it. Oh, that's right. And the devil comes along, doesn't he? And the serpent, what does he say? Oh, you'll be right. Go on, eh? Did he really say that? Oh, yes, he said you're not allowed to touch it. No, you can have it. Go on. Go on. Have a little taste. What does she do? And then she runs back and convinces him. He didn't have to be convinced. He just saw, took one look at her and thought, oh, gosh, what's happened to her? So he thought, oh, I'd better join her. So anyway, that was the end of it for them. And, uh, of course, that was called the fall, wasn't it? And uh, so we're now in the poop, aren't we? We live, uh, Adam lost his kingship of the earth. And now the old Satan is taken over. He's the God of this world, according to Jesus Christ in the Bible. The God of this world, the father of lies, the father of all lies, actually. So that means that pretty much everything that's going on in the world is a lie. And we are seeing that happening now, aren't we? There's so many lies. I just can't believe it. The whole world is based on a foundation of lies because it's run by the God of this world, who is not the God of heaven and earth, the God of the Bible. He's, um, he's taken over the, um, because God's very lawful. So when Adam disobeyed God, he lost his kingship of the earth. He lost the dominion over it uh, to Satan, which was where he was anyway. He was an upset that God had put man on earth in the first place because he was cast out of heaven, lost his heavenly body. A third of all the angels followed him and he was cast to the earth, the Bible tells us. So that's, this is his domain. He's the prince of the power of the air, the father of lies. He's the son of perdition. And he runs the show. And that's why bad things happen. And people blame God for it, our God of heaven, the God of the Bible. But it's not. Uh, he has um, the key, the keys. Satan has the keys to this earth. And if you're not a, a Bible-believing Christian, if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he offered his blood and his body 
to save your soul from destruction, uh, then you are what's known, the Bible terms, as a child of disobedience. That's what you are. There we are. So you don't want to be a child of disobedience, do you? You don't want to be rebellious. You, you, you need to get that sorted, don't you? And uh, especially as you, if you're young people, you need to get that sorted before you're around about 20. John McClone from Kentucky uh, showed me that truth, and I believe, and I, I believe what he said is true. And I've read those verses, and I'm, I must bring you those verses actually. But uh, he said that um, God, he thinks that God gives um, people, young people, a chance right up until they're about 20. Uh, he said, and the example is that the children of Israel, all those that were, didn't believe, that didn't believe God, uh, weren't allowed to enter into the promised land. Were, yeah, weren't allowed to cross over into the promised land. But the ones that didn't, they weren't. But the ones that were that didn't, they were kind of you know non-believing. But they were young. They were under twenty, I think, or, or under twenty-one. They were allowed to cross over because they were kind of ignorant. They weren't fully mature, weren't uh, able to really know the, um, you know, the uh, gravity of the decision they were making that re- by rejecting the God, their God, who'd led them through the desert for forty years, and they still rejected him. Uh, but anyway, so he let them in. So the young people, so it gives me great, great um, joy, really, that uh, young people that, you know, get do silly things and get killed in road crashes and, you know, drugs and stuff like that, that they will be in heaven. They're not going to be left behind. But you older folks need to get those Bible verses sorted. First place I'd go to, I would, um, I mean, the Old Testament is great, and it's all part of the Bible. But really, the time is short. And so the best place to go, I think, would be in the New Testament, the book of John. You can find that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, Methuselah. No, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And have a read of John. You'll get to about chapter 3, and I would say if you're not sure by the time you read the end of chapter 3 whether there's something you want to be involved in or not, uh, you're probably not going to be involved in it. But the the penalty for rejecting your Saviour, because, you know, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And each and every one of us will have to pay for our own sins if we don't accept our Saviour, who has paid for them for us. He was the Lamb without spot or blemish, the Lamb of God, and he laid down his life for us. And so, wow, what a thing to do. But if we don't believe that he did that for us, he can't save us. He won't, and he can't. So there we are. Okay, yes, I don't often do that, but there we are. I thought I would. Give you a little um, a little talk. Okay, uh, so we're getting close to eight o'clock. We'll have some more news from TNT Radio. I'll give you a weather update for the day and for the extended forecast as well. And uh, then that'll be um, my lot until tomorrow morning, I would think. Yes, gosh, it's only halfway through the week. It's, t- it's starting to drag. It's so nice to have cooler weather, isn't it, in the morning than we've been having? Although the Chatham Islands have still got eighteen degrees earlier on, t- about an hour ago, eighteen. Let's see what they are now. The Chathams. I'll do a quick refresh over at uh, Met Service. And the Chatham Islands are sitting on 18. It's still, I think it might be locked. might be locked from yesterday, I think. Stewart Island's still to 7 degrees, along with Invercargill. And uh, Timaru's 8. Um, Christchurch and Blenheim are the warmer. Oh, Nelson's 13 now. And otherwise, uh, Westport's 11. But all the rest of them are pretty low. Queenstown's hopped up from 3 degrees to 5. In the North Island, you've got uh, we've got Wellington there and Masterton on 12 and 13. Napier's on 16 degrees. Palmerston North 15. 
New Plymouth and uh, Taupo are on 16 degrees. Rotorua a wee bit cooler there, 14 degrees. Gisborne, 18, just as warm as the Chathams, although it's down to, <laughs> I think the Chathams are stuck. Uh, Tauranga, 16 degrees. Hamilton, 14. Auckland's on 18, along with Whangarei. And Kaitaia, 19 degrees. So it's warming up there. Okay, uh, let's uh, let's go back to Jordan Peterson. He's going to be telling us about the, the dangers of booze. It's two minutes away from news at seven, uh, at eight. Yeah, well, alcohol is an extraordinarily pernicious drug, and yeah. if you're inclined towards it, you can be inclined towards it because you're sensitive to its anxiety-reducing properties, or you can be sensitive to it because it enhances social communication, or because it produces a psychomotor high like cocaine, or all of those at yeah. once. And if you're particularly predisposed to alcoholism, you can experience all three at once. I had a friend in Montreal, um, Frank Irvin, great old guy, looked like Ernest Hemingway. He had a monkey farm on St. Kitts, and him and his, uh, his woman, um, Roberta, oh, I can't remember Roberta's last name. She was quite a piece of work too, a real cool person. They had this monkey ranch on St. Kitts, and they used to go down there and study the effects of alcohol on green monkeys, which 5% of whom would drink to coma on first exposure. And they had videotapes of these damn monkeys drinking, and it looked like a frat party, mm. you know, And but 5% of them on first exposure would drink to coma. 88.1 FM, the wireless international news. Part of the conversation and follow TNT Radio on Gap, Getter, and Twitter. Now, TNT Radio News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. Former President Donald Trump is on the cusp of becoming the presumptive Republican nominee for president again in 2024. A dominant performance against his last remaining rival, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, on Tuesday in New Hampshire could help Trump seal the deal. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' exit from the race on Sunday. He suspended his campaign and endorsed Trump before the New Hampshire primary, left Haley as the last one standing against Trump, and she's barely upright as voters head to the polls to cast their ballots. Trump, meanwhile, demands a gargantuan and growing lead over Haley in the Granite State. One survey even put Trump at over 60%. But every recently released survey has Trump at or over 50% with majority support and Haley under 40%, down in the mid to low 30s. States, the United Kingdom conducted their eighth round of airstrikes targeting Houthi forces in Yemen. This action followed President Joe Biden's recent acknowledgement that the airstrikes were not effectively deterring the Houthi militia from attacking vessels in the Red Sea. Responding to inquiries about the effectiveness of the airstrikes on January 18th, President Biden stated that while the strikes haven't stopped the Houthis, they will continue. Despite this, defense officials argued on Monday that the airstrikes have indeed weakened the Houthis' capabilities. A senior military official in a briefing to reporters emphasized the impact of these strikes. The official noted, We definitely feel that the strikes we have taken, the strikes tonight, the January 11 strikes with the same coalition partners, and a number of self-defense strikes against imminent threats that have taken place in the interim have removed significant Houthi capability. Tucker Carlson is gearing up for his trip to Canada, 
by sending a warning to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Yes, hi. I, I couldn't understand the French part, but it's Tucker Carlson calling from the United States. And I'd be grateful if you pass a message on to the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. We are coming to liberate Canada. We are coming to liberate Canada. And we'll be there soon. Merci. German Defense Minister Boris Pistorius has emphasized the need for Germany, along with its NATO allies, to bolster their military capabilities in anticipation of a potential Russian attack. In his recent interview with the German public broadcaster ZDF on Monday, Pistorius highlighted the importance of being prepared, even though Germany currently faces no direct threat of attack. A group of 110 lawmakers, doctors, academics, and civil organizations, led by Doctors Against Forced Organ Harvesting, or DAFO, is urging the United Nations to create an international criminal tribunal to investigate the forced organ harvesting of prisoners in China. This call comes in anticipation of the UN's review of China's human rights record on January 23rd, the first such review since 2018. The UN's universal periodic review process, established in 2006, is a peer-reviewed mechanism for assessing the human rights situations of all 193 UN member states every four to five years. DAFO argues that this review should not provide a haven for human rights violators. The coalition highlights the plight of prisoners of conscience, particularly practitioners of the Falun Gong, a spiritual practice based on truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance, who have been targeted by the Chinese Communist Party for forced organ harvesting. This practice has made China a leading destination for international transplant tourism, offering short waiting times for organ transplants due to the large supply of organs from incarcerated dissidents. DAFO warns that the silence on this issue could embolden perpetrators to extend their repressive actions and criticizes Western institutions for compromising legal and ethical standards by collaborating with China in these alleged mass murders. We'll be back with another news break at the top of the next hour. This has been James O'Neill for TNT. From beach towels to tea towels and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. 88.1 FM, the wireless weather. The short forecast for all New Zealand, valid until midnight tonight for Northland, Auckland, Waikato, Coromandel, the Bay of Plenty, cloudy periods. For Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, fine weather apart from areas of morning and evening cloud. In Gisborne, for Waitomo to Manawatu, including the central high country, mostly fine today. Horowanua to Wellington, also for the Wairarapa, Marlborough and Nelson, fine apart from isolated morning showers in Wellington and the southern Wairarapa. For Buller and Westland, also for Fiordland, mainly fine today. For southern Westland and northern Fiordland, elsewhere isolated showers clearing in the afternoon. For Canterbury and Otago, mostly fine isolated showers over inland Canterbury later in the afternoon. Southland, showers becoming isolated this afternoon with fine spells increasing. In the Chatham Islands, low cloud and drizzle clearing this morning. The extended forecast for Thursday in the North Island, showers in the east uh, easing, uh, partly cloudy elsewhere with the chance of a shower inland. For the South Island on Thursday, fine for Nelson and Marlborough, rain and showers developing in Fiordland, Southland and Clutha, partly cloudy elsewhere. For Friday in the North Island, mainly fine, isolated showers in Hawke's Bay, Gisborne and Northland. In the South Island, rain in Fiordland and Southern Westland, heavy at times, scattered rain for the Southern Lakes, Southland and Clutha, cloud increasing elsewhere. On Saturday in the North Island, rain developing in the west, south of Waikato. Scattered rain for Wairarapa, crowding, a cloud increasing elsewhere. 
in the South Island on Saturday, rain in the west and south, both heavy at times. It's going to be easing, the scattered rain in the north, isolated showers elsewhere. The extended forecast for the Chatham Islands are fine at first on Thursday with southeasterlies and then cloud increasing. A few showers developing on Friday with southeasterlies dying out. A cloudy periods on Saturday with a possible shower and northerly winds. There we are. That's my lot. I will see you, let's see, I'll probably see you tomorrow. Yes, I will. It's six minutes past eight. Have a very good morning. A great day. David Seymour has met with some of the so-called leadership of this um, protest. Do you think that emboldens the protesters and do you think it's a responsible thing to do? No, I don't think it was a responsible thing to do for a party that purports to be the champion of law and order or indeed uh, businesses to meet with those who are obstructing Wellingtonians from going about their everyday lives, bullying and harassing people who are trying to go to school or work. Hey, everything's been really good. Yeah, and people are behaving themselves. Yep, everything's looking really good from what we've seen. Yeah, caring for each other. The vibe is very, is very nice. Bullying and harassing people who are trying to go to school or work. I trusted the government oh, and then I, I was forced to, to take it because I was losing my job. If we weren't coerced and brainwashed into getting these vaccines, he could still be alive. If we weren't forced into making a choice between our jobs, incomes and livelihoods, he could still be alive. Bullying and harassing people. If you want summer, if you want to go to bars and restaurants, get vaccinated. If you want to get a haircut, get vaccinated. Bullying and harassing people. If you want to go to a concert or a festival, get vaccinated. If you want to go to a gym or a sports event, get vaccinated. Obstructing Wellingtonians from going about their everyday lives. If you are not vaccinated, there will be everyday things you will miss out on. Like Barry Satoro. Like Barack Obama's Barry Satoro. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's his real name? Barry? Name? Barry? Dude. His whole life he was Barry Satoro. What? Didn't he release his Satoro. birth certificate? Does anybody want to call how do you cigar? not? How I'm do you not know that? I've never heard that. I know that people call him Barry. I've heard Barry. Barry Satoro. He's but I thought that was like short for Barack. Barack. Yeah. Barry. Yeah. Like, you, like yeah. your friend. Totally. Like I call you Ejibra. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. I thought that was normal. Certificate of birth? What is this? Barack Hussein Obama. That's his name. Because I, said, Trump went by, I don't know. He went by Barry Satoro. Maybe I'm wrong. Correct. There it is. Obama's, Obama's real name is Barry Satoro. What? This was uh, this explaining that it was on a meme page. Oh, so it's horseshit. Barry was the nickname growing up. You're right. His buddy's called. It makes sense. Barry, yeah, Barry Barack, Barack, Barry makes sense. You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, The World at Five. Luxon meets with Ardern over special envoy job. Can you believe this? Uh, this is a, a, a newsable podcast. I think you'll be able to go in and hear it for yourself. But officials are preparing advice on the former MP's role as the country's senior representative to the Christchurch call. Can you believe, I just cannot believe that Lux has got have anything to do with this rotten cow that nobody wanted, and we certainly don't want to hear back in this country having any say in our politics because she stuffed our country. And I can't believe that the Prime Minister Chris Luxon has met with the former political rival, Dame Jacinda Ardern. I can't believe that he's met there to discuss with her a rare special envoy role with the Christchurch call. That blimmin' stuff, the Christchurch call is just basically taking away your freedom of speech. That's all it is, just designed to shut you down. 
Shut you up. It's all about not to say anything about how terrible Islam is, which it is. It's the worst religion in the world. Second worst religion would be Roman Catholicism because during the 16th century they just slaughtered you. If you didn't believe what they believed, they just burnt you at the stake. And uh, I've been to Oxford where they burnt people at the stake there for not believing that the little wafer is the real body of Christ. They call it transubstantiation. We, we, we Bible Christians, we don't believe that. We believe it's a, it's a picture. It is a, uh, it's a symbol. It's an emblem uh, of what of Christ's body that was broken for us. And we believe that wine is just wine. That's all it is. It's not. They, priest doesn't magically turn it into the real body of Jesus because if he did, that means that when Jesus said on the cross, "It's finished." That means it wasn't finished because now we need a priest to go into the temple every day and keep offering. We'll go into the church every day and mass and keep sacrificing Jesus over and over again and then eating him. <laughs> Isn't that cannibalism? Is that, oh, maybe that's why cannibalism is not actually against the law in New Zealand. You're not allowed to kill people, but you can eat them. Doesn't they, they can't have you up for that. Oh, it's, it makes sense, doesn't it? Maybe the Roman Catholic Church has got a wee bit to do with um, our laws. Maybe they have. There's quite a few Roman Catholic judges. Anyway, so if you're a Roman Catholic, you're a cannibal. And most of them are named after saints, aren't they? Cannibal Joe. Cannibal Joe? <laughs> cannibal Peter? Yeah, so there you are. Cannibal Bill. We had Bill, didn't we? Bill Rowling, wasn't it? Wasn't he a Catholic? No, there's another one there. Anyway, anyway, so Luxem, I can't believe it. Luxem's office, they won't provide any uh, definitive update on the future of her position. This is the flipping rotten... I don't... Oh, I'm going to get carried away here. I just don't want her to be anywhere near our government, our halls of power. No, you should be in a jail, rotting with your... Uh, we, we won't go into that. Um, you should be in prison, imprisoned, waiting your trial. That's what you should be. You shouldn't be having anything to do, and I can't believe you sap, you simp goober, Luxon, for even having a meeting with the cow. What the hell is wrong with you? I'm so furious about this, that this government is going to double-cross us. They are collectivists. He said that he is. That's what Luxon said. We're doing everything for the good of the collective. The Christchurch call is about silencing you from having freedom of expression. It's about doing away with the Bill of Rights. That's what it's about. And it's about taking away all of the guns in New Zealand so that they can bring in even more draconian laws, which they've got planned for us. And when they bring them in, we won't have, there's no way. The, the reason why, the reason why they have uh, gun laws and in, uh, in, uh, not gun laws, but why, why they have the uh, freedom that you're, you're allowed to be armed in America is, to, is not to stop criminals from attacking you, not to stop someone, not to protect yourself against criminals and home invasion or, you know, that. No, it's to they were designed to for uh, protection, citizens to protect themselves against a tyrannical government. You say, oh, well, we ever had a tyrannical government? Yes, we did. 70 years ago, didn't we? Was it more than that? Just over 70 years ago. Adolf Hitler, he was a tyrant. Jacinda Ardern is a tyrant. And we've got our new Prime Minister even having meetings. You shouldn't even have meetings. You shouldn't even be sitting at the same table with her after what she has done and her regime has done to our country. Shame on you. Now, Stuff Daily News, they've got a podcast there called Newsable, and uh, they can reveal, they re reveal that Luxon sat down with Ardern before the summer break to talk over the position as New Zealand's senior representative to the Global Initiative tackling violent extremist content online. That's not what it's about. That's rubbish. We know what it's about. The spokesman for the Prime Minister confirmed Christopher Luxon met with the special envoy Dame Jacinda Ardern just before Christmas to discuss her work. Decisions have not yet been made, so keep it all, keep it all quiet from us. 
uh, that not been made as the Prime Minister is waiting for advice uh, from officials. That's what they said. Now, asked to clarify when that advice is expected to come back and decisions made around the role, the spokesman said on Monday, yesterday, they don't have anything to add to the statement at this stage. So, that, you know, they know it's dodgy. They know New Zealanders don't want her anywhere near our government. No, 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 no. We've got to, we've got to say, no, we want Ardern to go away. Make Ardern go away. MAGA. You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, The World at Five. Now, 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 here comes another hour of today's best country and more. This is 88.1 FM, The Wireless.